What's up, my fellow firefighters and dedicated listeners of the Keep the Promise podcast? I have an extremely exciting announcement that I could not wait to share with you, so I hope you're ready. Starting today, for a limited time only, I'm offering you an incredible opportunity to join our exclusive Patreon community with a one-week free trial. That's right, an entire week to experience the amazing benefits resources, and connections that await you inside of our firefighter family. But this offer is more than just a trial. It's an invitation to step into a world where support, growth, and inspiration thrive. It's a chance to embrace a community that understands your dedication, your struggles, and the profound impact that you strive to make every single day. Imagine a place where you're surrounded by like-minded individuals who share your passion for service, who understand the demands and joys of the fire service, and also who stand shoulder to shoulder with you as you keep the promise that you made to your community. It's not about the benefits that you'll receive either. It's about the connections that you're going to forge, the friendships that you're going to nurture, and the support that you'll find when the weight of the world feels heavy on your shoulders. Look, as firefighters, we're not just bound by a profession. We're united by a deeper purpose, a calling to protect, to save lives, and to make a difference. And together, we can achieve so much more. During this one-week free trial, you'll have access to exclusive bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes insights, and a community that will rally around you, providing you encouragement, advice, and all the motivation that you need to become the best version of yourself, both on and off the job. So, my fellow firefighter, I invite you to take that leap, to join us in this extraordinary journey. Let us be the foundation that supports you, empowers you, and helps you overcome any obstacles that come your way. Head over to our Patreon page today at joinkeepthepromise.com. Again, joinkeepthepromise.com and claim your one-week free trial. Do not miss out on this opportunity to experience the strength of our community, the wisdom of our guests, and most importantly, the inspiration that awaits you. Together, we will keep the promise we made to our community, to ourselves, and to each other. I'll see you on the other side, my friend. Hi, friends. TJ here. I wanted to let you know that this episode of our podcast covers a very difficult topic the line-of-duty death of a fellow firefighter. If you're feeling particularly sensitive or vulnerable right now, you may want to consider skipping this episode altogether or listening with caution. Look, it's really important to take care of ourselves and each other. And if you or somebody that you know is struggling, please, please, please do not hesitate to reach out for help. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available at 1-800-273-8255. And the IFF Center for Excellence is available at 855-900-8437. Welcome to the Keep the Promise podcast, where we help build resilient and well-rounded firefighters. You know how we have like a combined love and fondness for like that alt-reggae beach rock? Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw it out there. Dirty Heads is at the bottom of the list for me. I hate you. So, no, we're, we're stopping. No, we're stopping the podcast. East Coast it's over. and local Ballyhoo. Yes. And Bumpin' Uglies. Bumpin' Uglies. Okay, okay. Let's go West Coast. Now we're at Revolution. Yes. The Elevators. Okay. Far superior. No, no way. There's, far there's superior. N- you can't. No. There's See, like, talk, like our different back, in our backyard. Different, it's yeah, not even different levels. I'm, apples and oranges, Josh. 
I can't believe you. I, I don't. I can't believe no. it is what it is. I said my piece. Dirty at the bottom of the list. I can't believe you let what he do. How long do you think he's been preparing this? Hey, just like, it's uh, it pumped in my head the other day because I knew, I know you're a Dirty Hits fanatic, massive fanatic, and I have my own curated playlist, and I don't know if there's a Dirty Hits song on there at all. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the last episode of the Keep the Promise podcast. So, and then our fondness. Think like folk, yeah, Tyler Childers, and um, like Zach Bryan, obviously. Have you heard Sam Barber? Not yet. Sam Barber, gotta check him out. Something to do today. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be. I think you're gonna be a fan. The whole folk thing for me came. I never really had much of that until the last year when I came back and mm-hmm. Ryan was there, and he's a big music guy and would play that for dinner prep. And then, well, yeah, I've been listening to, to that a lot since then. Yes, that it's totally in that genre, but I. Found like Instagram reels totally got me. Oh yeah, yeah they got me good. Recently, one of yeah. them, like I heard a one song, one reel, looked it up, and I've been hooked on that thing for like two weeks. <laughs> right, that's actually a good segue though, because I got a little uh, music uh, reference uh, as we get into it from when we're uh, <clears throat> when I was on my drive back home. Um, but we're we're gonna be talking about some heavy stuff. We are, we are. We're gonna be this talking is... about some heavy stuff. And we'll do it by by this one. You probably heard and. Another warning disclaimer at the beginning, but yeah, we're going to be delving deep into life post Woodscape. I don't think we're going to be talking so much about the incident per se to start with. It's just what happened afterwards. And for that, we are joined by a wonderful friend, hell of a firefighter and an absolute beast at the gym, Andy Hoffman. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I hope you're happy to be here. We are, we are pumped to have you. Yeah, I'm excited. And Andy's a man of, of many words, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I have to I have to bring in his bring out his crackhead energy. That's cool. I'm good at doing that. Where uh just hit us with some of the facts outside the firehouse. Like you have your own r- road named after you. <laughs> tell us about it. Yeah. Um I'm from Gettysburg, PA. One of those PA guys yeah. that Finds a way across the Mason-Dixon. Yeah, in uh, the horse and buggy. And uh, we have a farm there that I spend, grew up at and spent, I live there now and spend a lot of time there. So that's how I got, you know, that was most of my childhood besides that and youth sports, volunteer firehouses that led to paramedic school that led to Howard County. Yeah. Multi-generation farming operation too, right? Yep. Grandparents were there when I was a kid, uh, dairy farm and... My earliest memories are there and uh, probably had a lot to do with the type of individual I am now, which, uh, you know, I was doing whatever grandpa and dad were doing, picking rocks and throwing hay bales. And then when grandma was inside doing cross-stitch and knitting, we were doing that too. <laughs> so right. uh, that's, that's what a lot of the early stuff looked like. One of the most interesting men in the world. Yeah, man of many talents. That's where it came from. <laughs> yeah, grunt work is like, uh, it's not even grunt work for you. That's just what it is, I feel yeah, like. It's so funny. Um, when you were one of the pioneers in the CrossFit in my world and brought it to the firehouse and all that. And originally, I didn't um, pay much attention to it. And then I kind of always kidded around in my head about it. It was like, what, 
CrossFit's what everybody else calls work. Um, <laughs> and it, they are very similar, but um, I've grown to love that conditioning yeah. and strength as well. Yeah. So I, I have a love for it. Yeah. I, um, when I graduated the academy, um, man, 17 years ago, we came out to the same firehouse together. You were my mentor. Early. I think <laughs> we learned a lot no, from each other. We did. We did. It was a, it was a, um, it was the beginning of like an awesome, like foundation. I know for me. Yeah. And then we already had some craziness in our first year. I know for me where we were first assigned and it was just funny how throughout our careers, our careers and friendships kind of passed and yeah. mingled and we found our way back at uh, seven together. I think about that a lot. Yeah. The way that start that started and then, you know, we didn't really see each other or spend a lot of time together for 10 years. And yeah. then all of a sudden we were back there picking up where we left off and that was great. Yeah. It's funny how things work out like that. Yeah, it really is. And then when we both found our way back to seven, <laughs> just having the, yeah, picking back up where we left off and then just being able to get back on the wagon together. And then we just had an awesome relationship, which is the shift in general. Like we were just, we were vibing really well. It's very special. It's a very special place. It was a good thing. Um, but fast forward a little bit, not the night of Woodscape, what were you riding? Uh, 71 Charlie, behind you. Yeah. Um, it was Janie's birthday. I remember uh, making the conscious thing about that morning to have him ride the line for his birthday. Yeah. So um, that's how that went down. <laughs> and I ended up in the C seat. And a uh, yeah. little tidbit, in, uh, wearing the S7 R2 BA. Specifically, I, something that sticks out in my mind. It wasn't the Charlie BA. It was a reserve Yeah, that I was wearing that night. So when I see that, I always think about that <clears throat> a little bit. Yeah. That's the one I was wearing. Yeah, we were back. And what were you riding? I was Tower 10 Bravo. You were Tower 10 Bravo. Uh-huh. And talk about BAs, I remember that because we were lucky enough that the specials by that point had gotten the integrated thermal imagers on their BAs, yeah. both seats. I know the engines only had it on one on, on the line, man. And uh, yeah, that, that ended up playing a huge role when when I walked into the house, when I crawled into the house and, and my actual main tick just died. Thanks a lot, Bullard. <laughs> and Josh, you were bossing 71, right? I was right? a lieutenant on 71 that night, yep. <clears throat> so, um, and I'm sure we'll do a, like a more in-depth review of the line of duty that we were involved with. And there are some presentations that are out on YouTube and maybe we can leave and link out to those. And that can be a conversation for another day, but we're going to talk about the, just what came after, um, Woodscape and the decisions that were made, the emotions that we went through. And the goal, I think for a lot of us is yeah, sure. There's going to be some, maybe some decompression and healing, but I think it's also hopefully some others can live through our experience and maybe prepare themselves. God forbid, if they're ever in a similar situation, like there are going to be some feelings and emotions that you go through. You have to make decisions. You're going to have to have some togetherness. You're going to, you're definitely going to experience hardship. And maybe if you can live a little bit through our lens, um, hopefully we'll prepare you a little bit better for an event that you may have to go through. Because I know we've learned from other people as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that helped us with the connection. I think we've managed pretty well, all things considered. For sure. And, <clears throat> you know, we had each other. And I think it's also key to understand what happens beyond 
the firehouse and beyond the report because for most of us when we're introduced or when we're exposed to line of duty deaths it's like this happened this is a report these are the recommendations this is how the department's taking action that's very linear exactly very linear very if this then that but there's so much gray area we talk about operating mm-hmm. in the gray as as much as we do in the fire service and there's just so much beyond that because like the feelings of you coming back to that firehouse to seeing the same scba that you were wearing that night like yeah even sometimes the same smells like that stuff that gets abstracted get gets taken out of all these reports that a majority of the people unless they've been through they're not going to understand so we're hoping to open open that discussion about yeah about the things beyond the report and beyond the fire service yeah i remember um, and all the NIOSH reviews that we did as part of our weekly training stuff, um, I had never really considered what it was like for the people left behind mm-hmm. and uh, what they might have been feeling or going through. And then when I started experiencing that, um, it took me really by surprise. So I'm really, you know, for a long time I thought about um, the need to speak out about it and prepare people, give people an idea um, or even like when some ne- neighboring departments um, would experience that, I've really felt the need to like go warn them, yeah. like, "Hey, bud, this is this is going to be a multi-year thing, and uh, here's some things to look out for." So I'm really glad that we're able to sit down here and talk some of this through, and yeah. hopefully somebody can <clears throat> pull something from it that uh, will make a difference to them. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's we all want that, and we all needed that. I think we were fortunate enough that we were close enough that we had some of that. Sure. Um, but there are definitely people that did not have that. Um, yeah. And they probably struggled a lot more. So we're very fortunate that we were tight. I mean, as tight, I think, as companies get beforehand. Um, and the way that we were all able to, to survive that together in the aftermath. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> um, I know we all have kind of like our own little story. I think there's a lot of. Um, crossover and I know we're all going to hit on that together and we're all going to have some of our own stories you know separate from all of us and we're all just going to kind of jump in there's no real good rhyme scheme to what we're doing so anybody listening can just bear with us hopefully and hopefully we'll keep it interested enough and um, you know with a good flow but I know that as we were coming we were writ that night yeah, and teamed up with truck seven from our own house and we were really well together and we had gotten Nate and we were bringing him out through the basement. We handed him to 105, which it was Nate's own crew. You know, yep. it's, it's your station. And I remember Glenn immediately took charge and did a phenomenal job of taking oh, charge. Yeah. Bringing Nate that out. That was legendary. <clears throat> it was for, and to give context. It. Yeah. And it was what, 2018. So Glenn had a year on yeah year and a half on and this by every stretch of the imagination oh you per textbook this guy's technically still a rookie and he threw himself on top of nate and literally said this is my patient everybody shut the fuck up you're doing what i'm telling you and he's talking to like 20 25 year paramedics with a ton of experience and i think that that set the stage for for that valiant attempt that, that they made to to get nate back and it's I mean, I, I tell Glenn all the time, I'm, I'm proud of, 
of how well he performed that night. Yeah, he took charge. He did. He definitely he took charge. A very, very vivid image of him. Same. Um, as soon as I came out of the backslider, um, I can see him today as it was yesterday. Yeah, same. Um, or, you know, working over Nate. Yeah. Um, and that was impressed. Yeah. A bit of a segue, now that we're talking about random images that get stuck in our minds. I don't know where you guys were when Cat fell through the deck. We're when the stairs gave gave way under him because you just heard this like splat, and uh, I know we we lost Cat a year ago around this time. It was this month last was, year. Yeah, and I just I remember this this man just came down like a full story, like onto this like hard pavers is what they were and people were trying to get him to the ambulance and again like the image of cat like shrugging these people off saying i'm okay i'm okay <laughs> like he started shoving people away i'm like dude yeah. you just took a tumble yeah. and he's an amazing fireman in a oh, yeah. more context we were so spent after bringing nate out of the crawl space and going through what we did he was the guy who came in mm -hmm. got him out the rest of the way mm -hmm. and helped us bring him out so he did that a few minutes later, he's up on the deck doing work, and the the deck gives way, and he got seriously injured. Oh yeah, um, he was off the the yeah. floor for a while. He went down hard. He went down hard. Yeah, but he kept working. But yeah, he passed away from, you know, occupationally related cancer. Um, so it's a year ago this month. Yeah, but I remember specifically sitting on the back wall of that landscape wall where we all were lined up, um, and uh, when he fell through. And I looked at Trini and I said, this place is fucking cursed. And he looked at me and said, what is happening? Yeah. Oh. You're absolutely right. And we we know this now within one to two minutes of us leaving the crawl space, the crawl space that we were in collapsed. If that. Yeah. If yeah, that. If that. Um, when I was listening to Joe Connect's presentation, um, he said that when he went back up that short flight of steps where Luce initially had gone up. Mm -hmm. Um, he remembers being there looking out at what used to be the floor and it was collapsed. Yeah. And that was, he said he specifically remembered when Captain Love uh, was saying over the radio that we had him and we had just gotten back to the top of the steps where Los was Yeah, uh, when that happened. So if it was one to two minutes and putting those couple pieces together, it may have been much less than that. And that sticks with me. Like yeah. there could have been, you know. We lost Nate, but there could have been seven of us. It's so wild to think, like, uh, when we were in there, um, I never really felt in danger. Yeah. Um, but then looking back and, you know, putting some of these pieces together and hearing some of the other guys' stories of, of that. Bro, isn't it uh, funny how that works? It uh, Just being able it was close. still piece it together. Yeah. 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 But I, not even feeling that danger at the time. Like, looking back on it now, every, like, alarm bell goes off. You're like... Dude, we were in a bad spot by the time you're like, oh, whatever, you know. There was a certain unique peace calm over the actions. Yeah. Um, and where we were and what we were doing that uh, I never felt worried. Same. I think I knew how, I knew that it was bad, but I also knew that we were making forward progress. There was a small little actionable things that we kept working on and, we, and they kept advancing that needle forward bit by bit. And so I knew that we were any curveball or setback that we had, we were managing and it, and it provided more confidence. And, and I knew that we all trusted each other to the nth degree 
that there was no worry about what everybody was doing also. We all knew the mission and we could operate independently and have that sense of togetherness to make it all happen as well. So I think that was, that can't be understated, you know? Yeah. And where I was, there was one or two periods where um, I could stop for a second, focus on my breathing a little bit, make sure we were conserving air right. And then by the time we got back to the top of the steps, um, my belt was going off, but Mm -hmm. I knew where we were and where we were headed and we were going out. So that was really like the check marks of um, that progression. Yeah. Yeah. The bell's going off, but we're good. We we know where we're going. We got some time. Yeah. Yeah, so we passed them off to 105. They did their work, and we knew like we were, we were no good after that. Number one. Yeah, I remember definitely thinking. Sorry to interrupt. No. Um, when I came out of the the backslider, um, thinking that there was work to do, and then uh, Chief Bean um, said something that I think about a lot still. Um, the sweetest words probably I've ever heard, which was, "Go over there and take your stuff off. You're done." Yeah, and whenever we all got together at Station Three for that one of those first kind of gatherings to get some information, uh, I pulled him aside and told him like, "I don't know if you learned that somewhere, you were taught that in a chief's class or seminar or something. I don't know, but um, that made a big difference. Like, I, that was crucial at that time. Yeah, to just have that separation between you're done with this, go over there and yeah, stand down. Yeah, that's just me." No, it was huge for us. And I remember I knew that I just physically wasn't even able to do anything if there was something to be asked of me or us. Um, but I remember there's still some fire showing in some weird places from the exterior. And I, was, I remember being in a t-shirt by that point and just knocking down little bits of fire that I could just to keep moving and to stay busy. And I think we all knew that it was bad, but there was, I don't know, maybe for me just holding on that little shred of hope and being oh, yeah. surprised that Nate was going to be okay, you know? And um, I know we all went out back, and while we're waiting, said a little prayer. Yeah. We kind of joined up in a circle, and everybody from 7 said a little prayer. I didn't really have good words. It just No, they were great. Something. I remember that. Um, it was a short sweet, and um, thankful to have that memory. Yeah. Yeah. And, I had a really good feeling at that point. When I first put my hands on Nate, I... Yeah. My gut reaction was that he was dead. So in my mind, um, I knew that. Or I would have been shocked if I had heard anything uh, away from that. Yeah. But yeah. yeah he, he had the look from what bits I could see. I remember when we were bringing him out, he, he had the look and the feel. Definitely the feel. That's uh, yeah. the biggest sensory thing that I probably have outside of hearing past devices going off is... Uh, the sheer amount of uh, stiffness and the zero feedback that I got yeah. when I had my hands on them. Um, you know, usually if you're wearing clothing or gear, you know, the gear moves, your skin moves under it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you slide your hands across somebody, uh, there's some give there. Yeah. And I didn't have that. It was like rolling a three-foot log. Yeah. Um, I remember that very vividly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, remember just that idle time was just awkward as hell. Yeah. I remember going to the wagon and talking to uh, another lieutenant. He's like, dude, what happened in there? And all I could say was, 
we got trapped and we got out and we brought him out. I have no idea. Yeah. We, we yeah, we, we were trapped. We got out. We kept going. We got him. He came out. I, I'm beside my, I don't know what to say right now. I, we were just drenched. I think that's a really kind of important point is like we were there and we knew what we did. Um, but we don't know what other, we don't know what happened before that. And we don't really know what happened after that. Yeah. Um, I can't even try to venture a guess. Mm. People, when you hear people talk about that, it seems like uh, people think that they have a pretty good idea of what happened. But it's like, if you weren't immediately there, intimately involved, you don't really know <laughs> what happened. So many more questions and answers. And as firemen, I feel like we do a really great job of trying to fill the void with yep. as little information as possible. Trying to make sense yep. of it. But, yeah. Um, yeah. You just don't know. I, along the lines of what you said about when we were, uh, had left the back of the the house and we were putting our stuff back. Um, I remember kind of putting my uh, SCBA back in its bracket and the buddy breathing whip hanging out. Yeah. Another one of those images that's burnt in there. Yeah. And uh, I would kind of thought about the next crew coming in there that would have to pick all that back up and put it back to put it back in service yeah. and what that might have looked like or the uh, feeling they might have had whenever they were doing that. Sure. I remember feeling super guilty because we had a thousand feet of four inch in the street. <laughs> just apologizing like, I am so sorry you have to re-rack that. And like gear was just nasty and yeah, a mess. just thrown up in the cab. And cause I just assumed we left on the rig, we we're going to bring it back. And we didn't. Yeah. I jumped up in the front of the cab and I fortunately had my phone with me and I remember texting my wife and my mom because I grew up in the area and I'm sure she would know. And obviously when I talked to my wife, that something just like, hey, we made it out. We're okay. Whatever you hear. Yeah. Like, We're okay. And um, I remember my wife woke up to the text message and she told me one of our friends from Pittsburgh had already seen the news when she woke up first thing. And she saw the text from her friend in Pittsburgh, like, hey, is Josh okay? And she immediately flipped over and saw mine and was like, yeah, yeah, he's okay. I don't know what's going on, but, like, he's okay. And um, we all start making our way up the street to, we have our MAB medical ambulance bus, <laughs> that 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 big thing. And um, we knew that we'd be going to the hospital and they'd be ringing, you know, kind of wrangling all, a bunch of us up. And it was Mostly people from seven and ten, I feel like they were all together. Yeah, and five, five a little bit. Yeah, um, and we walk away from the scene. We knew we were done. And the aid that night, you know, our friend, another guy from seven, who's detailed me the aid that night, you know, Brian. Um, he's the best. <laughs> one of my best Love friends. That guy. Um, he looks at me and looks down on the ground and holds up a four. Yeah, and um, it was then I knew that. You know, Nate had passed. And then um was acting fire chief. Because our other fire chief was doing um like humanity work out of country. Yeah. And um he told everybody that, you know, Nate had passed. Yeah. You know, we're sitting on the side of a road and let us all know and uh, you know, you see some grown men cry and you see a lot of people yeah, you know, give hugs and just look down at the ground and kind of kick rocks, you know. At that at that moment, um, people would kind of, 
it was it was quiet, obviously. Yeah. But um, people, at least the guys I remember, Tim Daly, a couple of guys from Ten and us, and like the only thing that we knew to do, and which was exceptional, was to go up to somebody and be like, "Hey, you good? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you good?" And it kind of cracks me up now. Like, <laughs> that's all we knew at the that's, time. That's all you know. That's right? all we knew was to be like check on check in on your buddies. And uh, and all we knew was we to were, say was like yeah I'm good yeah okay, <laughs> I'm good. We were 15 minutes post. You know like craziest nobody had lives. any idea. Yeah, we did, and we didn't know the ride that was coming. We yeah. just we just didn't know. And similarly, like when we showed up to, to work that day, like you don't know what's coming. Yeah, you know it's another day. You know it's not like you get to prepare. Like you got to take the prep that you've already done, you know, the the discipline of all the previous months of shifts and go with what you got. You know, yeah. Just kind of interesting. But, and then uh, we were in the bus and I didn't have my phone that night. Uh, I left it on the bedside, you know, when those certain tones in the bunk room go off, I just go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No shoes, put a shirt on on the way, maybe. Right. <laughs> um, but I didn't have my phone. <clears throat> and, uh, I used yours, yeah, uh, to call um, Kristen first. Um, she answered, and then I called my dad because I knew my mom. She wakes up early, and I didn't want her to wake up and see something on the news and me not have my phone and them to have those few minutes of panic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to reach home. Thanks for the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I remember looking down. Um, Mun was sitting next to me, who was you know right there alongside of us, and. He had his head down. I remember it just being eerie because you got the red lights of the yeah. I mean, that was so weird, just dude. Having those red lights on, yeah. And he was looking down at his phone and just swiping pictures, looking at his kids, just tears rolling down his face. I remember I put my arm around him and I remember thinking, like, I cannot wait to be home to see my kids. Um, that's one of those images, just you know, we're shoulder to shoulder, and you know, in one of those moments we feel. I don't want to say you feel weak, but you have that other family, your literal biological family that's back home that's probably, they're freaking out as well. I mean, you can get in the stories of what the wives and kids and spouses had to go through as well because they experienced it a different way. And It's a whole other story. It's a whole other story, yeah. God bless. Um, So you were on our way. I remember we walked into the hospital. We get dropped off. We go through the ER. I remember seeing, you know, we were assigned at sevens. We were right next to the hospital, and we like knew some of the nurses and some of the staff. And Dude, back then we everybody knew everybody. Everybody, like, knew everybody it was for yeah. sure. the most incestuous, weird little family <laughs> between all of us in public service. Yeah, I just remember I kept apologizing because I probably smelled like a friggin' sweaty Footlocker. Let's Dio. go back to the Mab ride. Yeah, because the very eerie part about that is that it was a bus full of firefighters, and it was just quiet. Oh, you could hear a pin drop. Like, it was, it's, you go anywhere with more than one of us, and there's going to be grab-assing, something's going to be getting broken, and, you know, somebody's probably making a call to headquarters being like, these guys are acting fools. Yeah. And it was just so, I I think I tried to doze off on that. I At one point, I remember I closed my eyes, because I think, like, having the darkness of my eyes closed was a little more comforting than... The red light. The red light, the quietness. I'm like, all right, if I close my eyes and I focus on trying to hear the like road noises and maybe feel like a pothole here and there, I can just kind of like drift away from this. 
because when when I knew things were really bad is when I didn't see what what Brian did. I I still held on a little bit of hope. You know, I was yeah, like what, like five years in at the time. So you know, I'm so young, dumb. I'm so excited. I'm like, I'm like, dude, we can we can make it through anything. <laughs> and uh, the chief dropped the news, and I saw Lowe's just kind of like blink a couple times and put his hands behind his head, and I am watching this giant. Literally and figuratively. Yeah. yeah. I'm watching one of the dudes that I look up to, and Timmy too. And I see the sadness and the defeat in their eyes. And I'm like, oh, we're fucked. Like, if I'm watching these dudes, these literal giants, get hit so hard, what's in store for me? Like, I was still kind of, like, shell-shocked enough that I'm like, oh, God, am I really in the middle of this? Like, this is a horrible nightmare. And, um, yeah, that was... <laughs> That was foreshadowing. That was foreshadowing for, for the months and years to come. Los is a vivid image in my head, too. I remember that very clearly. <clears throat> um, yeah, I remember him kind of looking up at the sky and hearing, seeing him tear up. And he's just, yeah, like you said, he's a massive man. And he was the backbone of seven for us, I feel like. The big brother. He was, for he sure. was the guy. He was like the godfather. He'd been there yep. some of the longest. He's one of the OGs. And um, to see him kind of you know in in a little bit of pain showing a little bit of hurt and emotion was like yeah this is rough um i know we all have our own little experiences at the hospital but i remember you know there's almost like a receiving line and walking in like everybody could go in and say some words if you wanted to i remember standing in the threshold of the of his room he's draped in a flag and um I remember feeling awkward. I remember like standing in the doorway, just looking at the flag and not knowing like, what the hell am I, what am I supposed to do? Like, I what am I supposed to say? Him. Like people are going in saying something like what? I have no fucking clue what I'm supposed to do or say right now. Yeah. So I stood in the threshold, you know, and I just walked out. Like, yeah. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, And I mean, obviously people are hugging and talking and crying and, um, the investigators came in and immediately like, you got to write everything down that you know and press hard and make three copies kind of thing. God, yeah. that was miserable. And that kind of sucked. It, I mean, it was probably good in that it was a little bit of a distraction, but it was also like, and I feel it for them, like they have to have reports and paperwork and things to figure out. Um, I remember just being super awkward. Just, I remember looking up as I'm writing the report and I could look over my left shoulder and I had a straight shot and I could just see the flag, mm. see his body. And then put my head down and keep writing. I look up and I look over and there's the flag again. And he's just in the room and look back down and keep writing. Um, this is really eerie. I will be forever thankful for Christy that night who basically made that entire red side our side. Yeah. yeah. Like she... Shut right. down half the ER. Yeah, she literally like took that was a moved all the pay. I don't know what like acrobatics they had to pull, but they moved everybody out and closed the doors and kept people from coming out into our spot, which was it was huge. And I'll talk about space later on when we get back <laughs> to the firehouse because that's my bone to pick. But that was a um, that was a solid gesture, and I remember I went out if you. If you come into the ER 
and not where Nate again like I know which room he was in but I never wanted to see him if you start walking towards where the waiting room is the last room on the right that's that's where I ducked in because by that point my phone was blowing up um, a couple yeah. of the guys from the city were just either waking up on duty or like a couple of the guys that I know are just going to work and I remember my friend Ethan all caps saying dude are you okay what happened um, my buddy Mike in DC same thing like everyone's just reaching out and I'm trying to put myself in their shoes like they're probably terrified like I need to reply ASAP because I don't want them to start thinking the worst for sure and then I'm like holy fuck my parents are probably just now waking up and I had I had called them we you know Tower Tale we kind of like made a pact we're like hey talk to a lot like on scene we'll talk to the loved ones no details just uh like a check-in hey it's me i'm okay we don't know anything else and that was at the hospital that was my first real breakdown because that's that's when i call my parents you know they're just waking up like for real my mom is terrified i'm an only child she's you know they never wanted me to go into the fire service to begin with and now i'm breaking the news to her that we lost one of our guys and it was just the pain in her voice. And I, I'm just like, I remember I was like half in, like I was leaning on the bed and I was just like half out of it. And it's just like tears streaming down my face. I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what happens next. I have no idea. I just, I need to walk out of this room and see what, what everybody else is doing. Like, yeah, I think we just threw ourselves into work. And by that point it was the, the work was do the reports and get semi cleaned up for when Celeste showed up and and try to like keep your shit together and and, and at least show as much respect as you can for this for this absolute angel who's going through the worst. Yeah, Nate's wife Celeste. Um <clears throat> we all got the message that hey she's coming, she's on her way. And I remember we all lined up in the ER and it was a from what I remember hearing, it was in an effort to one, obviously show respect and then also have, it's almost like a receiving line. Like she doesn't have to awkwardly, like, where am I going? Like we're almost guiding her to the room. Yeah. And so, blocking her from the rest of the, the ER, yeah. from anybody else. Like, and hey, and, yes, yeah. you're, you're with family now and we're, yeah. we're protecting you. But I remember they said, you know, stand at attention. And a couple seconds later, they're like, Hey, false alarm. I remember thinking, mother, dude, dude that was the worst. Because we did it like serious? five times. I could visualize Celeste coming through the doors, you know, another wreck, and having to see that and witness that, knowing they have kids. Um, I just want to be home. And once they're like, "Hey, no, false alarm," I was like, that just like crushed me. And I was like, um, I remember I made a phone call to Seven and talked to one of the guys. I was like, "Listen, don't do it yet." If I give you the green light, can you get here as soon as you can to pick us up? It's like, yep, you just say the word. And I remember I turned around and looked at you guys and like, listen, I have a ride for us. If you want to stay here and be here for Celeste, I'm good with that. If you don't want to go through that, we can go back and leave and we can, you know, take care of us. I remember that. <clears throat> and uh, my gut feeling at that moment was uh, that I was ready to leave, but I didn't really want to say anything in case yeah. somebody else wanted to be there. Um, but I was, 
I'm thankful to not have that image. And I'm thankful that we, we did what we did. I felt like I strong-armed people a little bit because you guys were like, nah, whatever you want to do, it's fine. And honestly, we didn't and, know what to do. And yeah, we really didn't. There's no part so, of it. I know. Yeah. I'm, I, I do feel like I did not want to see Celeste selfishly yeah. go through that. Um, and I wanted to be home. And so I just made the decision. All right. One of our guys picked us up, got us back to the firehouse. Yeah. And as we're driving out of the parking lot, the black SUVs with Celeste are pulling in. Yeah. Um, I was just, I remember being mixed, like we dodged a bullet and I felt like I also, it was this weird mix of like, you couldn't man up for a couple more minutes and be there for her. And then there was that also part where like, now you're protecting you and your guys' mental well-being and not having to witness that either. I was, I was, I was split down the middle. Yeah. It was weird. It was, uh, the things you remember, you know, but. I remember the guys from Seven that had, like, went through our stuff, like our lockers and our gym bags and stuff, and brought us clean clothes or whatever, <laughs> yeah. which was just a little detail. I don't, yeah. Nobody changed in the, in the hospital. We just went back, but... It was a nice gesture. A nice yeah. gesture, very yeah, thoughtful Looking out for us, yeah. 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 Remember, we get to the firehouse, and I'm walking through the engine bay. Obviously, all kinds of people are there, and, you know, it's kind of humming. And I remember walking through, and... I see three people, three young guys yeah. off in the back, just kind of huddled up. I remember thinking, this is the first day of our recruits class, the latest recruit class. They just graduated and this is their first day on the job. Yep. And I took a second. I remember thinking if this was 12 hours earlier, it could have been one of them on this call. Hmm. And you could just see their like starry eye. They don't know what the hell to do or say. And I remember walking over to them. And saying, guys, I am going to apologize in advance. Um, we don't really know what to do or say right now. And we are trying to figure this out. We're going to be figuring this out for a while. And all I ask is patience. You know, please be patient with us. We're going to support you as best we can. Um, normally we have a routine and it's going to be a little bit different right now. And so I just ask that you be patient with us and we'll, we'll get you right as soon as we can. Um, but I really don't have the words for it right now. And they were incredibly understanding and, um, I'm sure that was very awkward for them. First five minutes on the job, walking in the firehouse yeah. and it's just mayhem, you know, can't imagine And officers coming up and, and saying, you know, like, Hey, what happened? What do you know? And just you know, say what little bit you did, but you really didn't know. Yeah. Um, you know, people are trying to piece it together. And I remember I got my stuff. I didn't even unmake my bed. Like somebody had to do it for me later, you know, later on. But I remember thinking, all right, check in with a couple people and then I'm going to roll. And looking back, I didn't realize after the fact how many people had stayed at, at the station for a while just to be with each other. Um, I remember looking back and thinking, man, I, as much as I want to be home, I also, I felt, I was hard on myself. I felt like I failed the guys because they all hung out. They needed to be together and decompress a little bit more. And I chucked the deuces. Uh, Again, there's no protocol. The way there's it works no out. And I think and you, you don't kicked yourself if you had stayed at the firehouse too. Yeah. Like it's it's so difficult because and everybody deals with it in their own little way. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah. everybody that 
needed a ride or needed something, had somebody. There was already uh, peer support there and a lot of other oh, people God. there. It was in the um, works. I do remember one member of the peer support team kind of mentioning to me that um, people will want to stay there and be with each other. Um, so I think, you know, we had the togetherness. Um, but eventually, got to go home. Got to go home. Uh, which is kind of, yeah. I, don't, I don't really remember much about, I don't remember the ride home at all, you know. Um, I don't remember talking to anybody or anything. And I think sometimes the brain kind of throws in some protective measures here and there. Oh, definitely. To keep you from remembering some things. Absolutely. Um, I remember, you know, guys starting to trickle out and then, I left, and before I left, I asked Trini what he was going to do, and I think he said he was going over to the union office to hang out there for a while before he went home, oh, um, which I'm not even sure if I ever checked to see if he actually did that or you know, yeah. what. Um, yeah, at some point you got to go. Gotta so go. while you guys are all doing this, we were <clears throat> in a Sprinter van on the way to the ME's office downtown, and um, it really sucked because one of five was a reserve. And one of the like old Hortons, like the snub nosed Ambos. So it wasn't even like one of our regular Ambos. It was just like crappy thing that was going to implode at any point. And um, yeah, I don't, we, we put everybody from 10, like everybody got thrown into a Sprinter van. I remember, I remember I was in the like cargo compartment. I think it was just George and me back there, uh, you know, not belted, no, no, nothing like, like, we're just kids. I'm like, oh, whatever. If we get hit, we're just going to bounce everywhere. Who cares? Um, also vivid image of Jimmy Joyce, who was at that point on day work. And he came in and he was in the hospital parking lot saluting Nate as as one of five was pulling out. And we came down Cedar to get him 32 to go up 95. And we started seeing, obviously, you know, people lining up at intersections and... Um, a couple of volunteer units had already shown up out in the, out in the distance. You see this like even bigger column of smoke. We're like, holy fuck. Like what, what's there left to burn at that place? Mm. Like I didn't realize how much worse it got after we left. Yeah. Cause you know, we stopped all firefighting efforts. So it just came back with renewed anger and intensity. And, uh, yeah, we took that trip up. And it was, again, we started seeing on overpasses, engines, ladder trucks, people saluting. Um, we had our own procession. It was, it's cool seeing that, that show of support. And every time you go under one of those, it stings. Because you're like, fuck, like, it's for one of ours. Mm. It's for one of our guys. But I think the nicest thing was when, and I can't even tell you where the ME's office is downtown. I have, I have no clue. But there were a couple of city units who showed up, like blowing through intersections, lights and sirens are like running people off the road, some crackheads like running for cover. And these guys show up and they're like, hey, we don't know what we're doing, but we're here for you guys. Like, whatever you need us to do. And I, again, I don't remember who it was. I wish I, I wish I could remember. Um, but it was just, it felt nice. Like, it felt like it's not the usual, hey, we got it from here, brother. It's like, we are here. We are here. We don't know what else to do, but 
if you want to go somewhere, if you want to do something, if you just want us to chill or go away, like whatever you need us to do. It um it was it 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 was very genuine and I'm I'm very appreciative. And I'm glad we've been able to to repay them by by helping out in the in the year since. So yeah, for us that was the beginning of the roller coaster because we there was a lot of ceremony, a lot of like mm-hmm. pomp and circumstance that just felt weird. Like we had to have four people moving his Emmy's gurney into the elevator, but it had to be only people in uniform. Like it was again weird protocols. Like weird that even Schultze was. You know, Schultz's a outspoken guy. He's like, "Are you kidding me right now? Like, can we all just file all of us in there? Like, what?" And then yeah, some guys had to stay out, right? Because they yeah. were not in uniform, and yep. that was like a big to do. Mm-hmm. Like you won't let me go with him, like, and apparently not. Like right, no. they had to stay out. Yeah, but it was literally we went into a parking garage. They didn't even make it into the elevator. Just like handed him over to an attendant, and then the elevator doors closed. We're like, all right, what now? Like anybody see why we came in? Because nobody was paying attention. <laughs> so we, it's just so bizarre. Like it was just. Uh-huh weird like did we just make this up on the spot or is this like a real life protocol like i i have no clue what's happening and that for me is when things just kind of started falling apart because we got back to our firehouse in the spreader van and we're all you know just exhausted smelling of smoke and sweat and defeat and the firehouse was beyond humming Mm -hmm. that place was hopping like not a single empty parking spot Retired chiefs, current chiefs, soon-to-be chiefs, everybody was there. Um, SISM teams from, Jesus Christ, the entire eastern seaboard. PG was there, Balmer County, I think. and I, Dude, I don't even know. Um, Tom Boyd had showed up, and he was polishing the metal plate on the light switches. And if if you know Boyd, that's that's him. Like, that dude is... He's a he's a machine. He never stops, and even the most minuscule details. He was out there. He's like, firehouse got to look good. Firehouse got to look good. And he's you know spraying Windex into his little rag and polishing the plates. I'm like, what? Like, what Twilight Zone am I in? Like, bro, I was really all I wanted to do was sit at the kitchen table and just that you know that crappy old shitty wood and like bent legged table that we had had for years. But we couldn't because there were a billion system teams, a ton of brass, strangers, like everybody had taken over a firehouse. And I talked about it in the, the Things We All Carry podcast, how I, I was furious inside having to wait in line to use the bathroom mm. that my crew and I had cleaned that morning because there were a bunch of strangers in my firehouse. And nobody had the wherewithal. I mean, we... We could have gotten away with saying it, but nobody had the thought to be like, get out. Like, this is not your place. Get out. Like, we could have gotten, we could have gotten away with telling a chief or above, get the fuck out. Like, you, you don't belong here. Um, and Joe Connect and I kind of like came to the same agreement that if, where it ever happened while we're still alive, like I told him, I'm like, I'm showing up to the firehouse with a machete in hand and I'm checking IDs. Be like, do you work here? No. Okay. You can wait in the park, go across the street, like fuck off somewhere, go to the union office because the last thing these people need is 
a thousand people in their personal sacred space and doing what, you know, mm. watching TV, drinking coffee, talk about the good old days and, Hey, are you okay? I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not. I just lost a shift mate and I can't even decompress in my own firehouse. Why are you here? Andy Levno was probably the only person that gets excluded from that because he visited, but he was standing out by the sidewalk, like pretty close to the rock and the flagpoles. And he, he had been my pumps instructor a couple of years prior. So I went and I, I just said hi. And, um, you know, Andy used to work for us. And he just said, listen, I'm here. I don't want to be in your space. Whatever you need. You all got my phone number. Let me know if you need anything right now. Cool. If not, you know how to get a hold of me. I'll answer day or night. Just, just keep me posted. Yeah. He was one of us. He knew. Yeah. And then he just he rolled out and I, God, I wish everybody, <laughs> a lot of people have said this, but I, I wish everybody had, had been like Andy and <laughs> had his intuition and had his intuition and just left us alone because I, I will, I will always be bitter. Like I, I don't care. Even the nicest people who were there that day, I'm, I'm just so bitter at them for not giving us that space. Yeah. And, um, by that point we just said like, we were just mad. So we all, Went over to uh, Corner Stable, whatever the one is in the Village Center. I think it's Corner Stable. Mm. I don't know. We, we managed to get a room to ourselves and had a couple of beers. A couple of people showed up. And um, yeah, I, I think I had to drive Adwell back to the hospital to pick up his car. And then I went home and I was, I remember I had talked to Michelle and she was on her way over. And uh she found me thankfully i left the door unlocked but she found me just dead asleep on the couch like still in a uniform i think i showered at 10 but i didn't have like civilian clothes so i was still in uniform like i was still in my uniform with this bottle of moonshine that a friend of mine had made years prior that i had planned on downing but i was just so exhausted that i was like cradling it like i was just asleep with like a full bottle of like homebrew with the lid still on and, uh, yeah, I think that put us at like nighttime. Just, I remember the sheer exhaustion, the, the shell shock and the exhaustion. I remember I was driving home <clears throat> and, uh, going back to music. I was like, let me put on just some feel good, like, you know, beach rock reggae. Yeah. Probably not dirty heads as we know. Nope. Not dirty heads. And, um, but it was, I think it's Stephen Marley and an abnormally slow reggae song. And it was it's going to be all right for anybody that knows that song. Like it was just, it was such an, I, the first time I ever heard of it, it's a hard departure from that like genre of music and it just grabbed my attention and it was just very serendipitous. It was just super odd. I remember screenshotting it. Um, be like, wow, this is fucking weird. And yeah, obviously people are calling and blowing up my phone to point to the house and it's summer. So the kids are, you know, home and we had a, friend of a friend who was like watching our kids over the summer. And we told her like, Hey, my wife's told her like, listen, you can stay home today. We just kind of need some space. And I walk in and my girls were, um, like all dolled up in princess dresses and like running around the house. <laughs> I remember thinking, I, I took a couple pictures. I remember like, I'm, I'm probably going to want to remember this. I remember my wife prepped the girls, um, before I'd gotten home to like kind of let them know, um, we don't try to hide 
really much from them. Like, you know, honesty is the best policy here. And one of them, my youngest one comes up, and I think at the time they were like four and two, so they were young. And, um, you know, one, my youngest daughter said is, um, hey, daddy, is your friend hurt? I didn't really know what to say. I was like, yeah, he's, um, yeah, he's hurt. He's, he's not going to make it home. And just for a two-year-old, you know, they can't really process that. And she was daddy. And I'm like, oh man, here, here what's going to be the next question? She's like, can you make me cereal? And I just kind of laughed because like I had to go back into dad mode yeah. at the same time. Right. Like I'm a couple hours post the crazy event of my life and all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to make my two-year-old some cereal. And I, as I'm walking over through the kitchen, you know, my oldest, um, Harper was like, dad, is your friend, um, going to come home? I remember thinking, um, and then telling her like, no, she's, he's not going to make it home. Um, and she was dad. Yeah. Ken, like, what's the next question going to be? She's like, you're standing in front of the TV. <laughs> it's just the middle of summer, early morning. And I, you know, it's like, it kind of made me laugh, but you know, go back into that mode. And I remember just every night when I'm putting the girls to bed for weeks, um, my girls kept asking like, why is your friend not home? Why, oh, what happened to him? Why is, you know. Why, why, why are you crying? Like just every single night. I mean, we'd be driving down the road like dad, like, yeah, what happened to your friend? And yeah, it was just like these weird questions, like a little innocent kid is at least aware enough of what's happening, what's going on. But you know, my wife was awesome. She's like, I got the kids. I'm going to take care of stuff. Like do what you need to do. And I remember a couple of things stuck in my mind. Like one, I got to write all this down because I'm sure there's gonna be a massive investigation and I just need to know what it is like unfiltered, get it on paper. Still hadn't showered at this point. Um, and I also remember reading, um, Dave Grossman's book on combat. When you have crazy events like that, you had two groups of people in the military, the ones that would go and drink their faces off and the ones that would go and like work out. And I remember thinking like, whatever I'm going through right now, I need to feel this and I don't need to dampen it with alcohol I remember thinking don't drink because hormonally like I'm just jacked right now I'm just going to throw a depressant on that like I need to feel this I need to let it work its way out of my system and I remember I didn't drink for like the entire week until we got to like Nate's actual funeral um, but then I showered I crashed um, and then I know we woke up and I um we went to go see my family that night because they were obviously freaking out and asking for the story. And, um, you know, I can count on one hand how many times my dad is like, hugged me and said, I love you, that kind of thing. And I remember going through that and reliving it from what I knew at the time. Um, seeing him upset was, you know, kind of rocked me. But that was the first couple minutes of just getting home. Uh, what, I mean, you're coming home to three kids. Yeah, two at the time. Um, and Kristen had arranged for my parents to have the kids so things would be a little less chaotic when I walked in. Um, and she asked what I needed, and I said, I just need to go upstairs and lay down. Um, <clears throat> on the way home, I had downloaded a uh, voice recorder app. Um, I knew that there was going to be investigations 
And I knew that the more people started talking about it, the more it may affect exactly like what my freshest memory was. So whenever I got home, which was probably close to lunchtime, uh, I laid in bed and pressed the voice recorder and just spoke it out from the time we got there and got off the engine until we were back out, you know, putting our stuff on the en- back on the engine. Um, really glad that I did that uh, and then slept for a while. But uh, later on, whenever we did the um, NIOSH interviews, um, I had that voice recording. So I was able to just play it for him and then answer a few questions. Yeah. So I was um, thankful that I had the forethought to be able to, like you said, take, you know, write, take yeah. the notes uh, while it was as fresh as I could remember all the intimate details, um, record it. And uh, yeah, I think for that afternoon, I went over to my shop and was just hanging out sitting in the chair, um, answering those phone calls, texts a little bit that um, people checking in. Yeah. And then went over to Rich's later because he had moved yeah. not far away. So we went over there to hang out for a little bit and kind of talk about how crazy it was. And yeah. actually, you called me while I was there to check in, mm-hmm. see what I was up to. Um, and I remember you saying, well, it's good you guys are together. So, but... uh we had another day off, and then we were you know, going back in to work on Wednesday. I was on Kelly Day that day. Um, Me too, already had four. A, yeah. <laughs> I already had a little trip planned with some other, some outside-the-work buddies. We were going fishing and camping and whatever for a few days, but I went seven and uh, just to help things get back a little bit, um, get back on the right foot, you know, and it was mm-hmm. the normal um early BH, you know, early relief BHX and drills and all the normal things uh, that they were doing. And then we rode back down to Woodsgate mm. and did the walkthrough. And that's when uh, I had my first interview with the ATF. I remember um, when I left that morning to go back into work, I remember my wife saying, you don't have to go in. Like, you can take time. You don't have to do this. Yes. You don't have to, like, it's okay to say, like, you need a day. And I remember thinking, like, I, I know, but we all need to be there for each other right now. And I remember, like, and I heard this from a lot of guys, like, that, hug and that kiss goodbye that morning was, was different very different yeah very different for both of us i remember we went in and talking about the sism team we're sitting there with uh the captain jimmy love and we're looking at each other like we don't know these guys and they're not going to talk i think there were yeah. some guys from montgomery county and if it was you if you're listening like we apologize like hey, listen, <laughs> thanks for trying <laughs> You yeah. can't be here. So I remember they sent them to another firehouse and they like, listen, you have to have somebody. So I'm just like, we're literally ordering you to have somebody there, but we'll get somebody else. I think it was Doug Welsh. Like one of our own captains came in and was like, I'm just here. I'm going to sit in the back if you need me. I'm here. But I remember we did kind of kick the guys out. Like, 
sorry, dude, it's not you. Um, and I remember, yeah, the firehouse was buzzing and we kept it as normal as we could, like doing the checks and you can see it was just like that energy there of like, let's make this as normal as possible. Um, and I know we all gave each other time to go around the table and talk and cry and say your own experience. And I do applaud our department because they were going through, they were bringing every company through every station, every shift so they could see the site. And as we knew it at that time, like this is what happened. And I think it gave people a ton of awareness of what we went through, what the crews went through, and then just get, be able to match that up with the pictures. And, um, I think it took care of a ton of like rumor control, number one, but it got everybody on the same page so they could at least have some connection to it and experience it. Um, but I do remember you going into the investigation. Um, and we'd been there for a little while and we were all, I think, waiting on the wagon for you. And then a box comes out and, um, you know, you hop on the wagon, you're off, but you just came down with us. And I remember turning and looking at you. I remember you walking up the hill and you were obviously very upset. And, um, I'd known you for, you know, 13, 15 years by that point. Yeah. And it's like, I've never seen Andy cry that hard. Yeah. And we go to the box or we're starting to run down the ground. I turn around. It's like, listen, we do not. I will put us in service and we'll go back to the firehouse. And I remember you looking at me just like through tears and joking. I just like, just fucking go. <laughs> and I remember I felt two inches tall because I like, I just put one of my best friends in a really bad situation. Um, and I felt two inches small and luckily we got put in service and we drove back. Um, yeah. But they asked you some tough questions. They sure did. Um, three or four people <clears throat> in like, a a large vehicle. Wow. Uh, and, uh, they did ask some hard questions and it was, it was a difficult situation. Um, nothing like, uh, you know, breaking down and crying in front of strangers, but then they offered to stop several times. Um, but, uh, I wanted to be helpful and tell them uh, everything I could to help. And uh, we, we did it. Um, yeah. They had you second guessing yourself. There were some things that I was not ready to hear. I remember that they asked questions and they had you second guess what you did. Yeah. And I remember you being really hard on yourself and not thinking. I don't think it was, I don't mean to interrupt you, but they weren't really, it was me second guessing me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't anything that they alluded other than the facts that they knew them at that point. Right. Uh, Those individuals had set through the autopsy mm-hmm. and they had some real information you know and uh, the facts of um so uh from what i knew from my experience and then what they had to say um yeah um i felt uh some like there could have been some responsibility on me for some of them mm-hmm. yeah i just remember that being hard on you um, yeah. Yeah. And I, um, 
there were some things there that we did that like I was sure some things that I checked when we were in the hole and uh, some co things that I was confident about um, checking air and that sort of thing. When I was making my way to Nate, I'd pull my body breathing lip out, but at the time I saw that there was air in his tank and his mm -hmm. BA was hooked up, so I made the decision not to hook up. In that moment, I felt the urgent need that we need to get out right yeah. now. Yeah. So we went. And you went, you know, that seemed like that's what we did. Yeah. Um, and then whenever later uh, for that interview, um, I felt like maybe my... Uh, Maybe I really wish I would have tried to give him some air, yeah. taking that time. The way things work out, the way the universe works, that 30, you know, those seconds to minutes where the, the rest of that area collapsed, maybe if I had hooked up, uh, maybe we would have all been bad spots. And maybe yeah. that gut feeling of we need to get out right now, maybe it had something to do with it. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if there, was, there was some time there after that interview where I was like, man, I really wish... And uh, you can't do that. Yeah. You can't do the wish thing. Um, you have to accept pretty darn quickly that things happen the way they happen and you weren't going to change it anymore. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you rely, you know, start selling yourself that and believing it, that, man, it just, it happened the way it happened. Yeah. And now we're moving forward. That's all it was to, that we could do. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. If we spent more time, it could have been different. And looking back with the autopsy reports, it took us a little while to get the information, but we knew, we found out later that, you know, he was down there long enough, it wouldn't have affected anything. And in that yeah. twisted way, it, it kind of gave at least me some peace, um, knowing that what was done was done. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, I remember driving to something like, because I on my two days off right after ATF had me come down and do the questioning. And we, I remember we were standing in the basement of the house, looking at the steps to the crawl space. Actually, we didn't even know it was a crawl space yet. Thought it was like a sunken living room. Um, and they were asking questions and, um, they were very like nice and supportive. And, um, we we're just trying to put pieces together because nobody knew what the hell was going on. Um, and I just remember that was day one of, a summer that rained incessantly. Yeah. <laughs> um, just the rain and the muck and going back home and talking to my wife, like I needed, I think I need to get back on the horse. And I remember telling her like, I, I need to call the training Academy and just like put him through the fireground survival course, like the confidence course at the end. Like, I think I know guys that would do that for me. Like, I think I need to get back in there and just like, make sure I don't freeze up. And she looked at me and was like, What's it? Yeah. You've already, because you've already done it. Like, yeah. She's like, you, you were just all the, all the training that you've been doing and the stress inoculation stuff and the way you push each other and the workouts and the, the, the team building, like everything that you all have done just validated what it is that you did. It was a magic time. Like everything hit at the right point. And I remember that kind of rocked me back on my heels and I don't mean to sound arrogant. Like it's, um, you know, part of it was like, don't be ridiculous. You don't need to do a confidence course. And part of it was kind of like the last 13 years, however long it was that we had spent doing little things every single day culminated to this one moment. Yeah. Um, 
and it did validate everything that we had been doing. Um, so I remember that really checked me. Um, going back to the firehouse, even though the entire department had gone through, um, seeing the incident scene being walked through, I remember just insane rumors like, oh, Nate died because he was strangled. Oh, wow. Jesus Christ. Like I heard that one. Like he got caught in wires and was strangled to <laughs> what? death. Or I was just like, that, no. Yeah. Like, or people would come in and be like, well, this this is the reason like this happened or well, this and like, were you, and these are people that weren't even there. Yeah. And they're talking to guys from seven and 10 who were there hands on him. And I remember I tried to patiently educate anybody that I could like, what's your going around all the firehouses saying is incorrect. This is the facts as we know them. And then the ice report would come out, like all kinds of stuff would happen. And it was just amazing. Like we would still fill, fill the voids with just like insane comments. I'm glad you try to be all patient with them because I, I took that approach with the first like five interactions. And then I just, I just turned into a jerk because there were, there were people who were like, Hey, listen, I wasn't there, but I'm like, so you're about to tell me exactly how you would have done it differently, huh? Yeah. Why didn't you guys throw a ladder in there? Why didn't you follow the host line? Why didn't and... I never let any of that in? Oh, I didn't either. I didn't I just, let any of it in. Yeah. I just try to squash it. Like you say, people don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And until it's you, you can say what you would do, but you don't really know. Yeah. You just don't. Cause know. it hasn't been you. Yeah. Hmm. And you don't know what you do. I, like, I, there was one, he's like, why didn't you follow the host line? And I was like, bro, I did. And I have never seen such, like, never in my life have I seen such just darkness. It was just a host line into, I don't know what the fuck that was. Just yeah. an abyss. And the exhaust. Right. Like, like just getting beat up. And then you're standing over top of a hole. Like, what, what's, yeah, what good is going to come right, out? Right. Like, I just throw a ladder down. Like, that doesn't. I had no idea where I was. Like it took until we got the fire marshal, like initial report. And I, I, you guys were there with us. We were at at the West friendship classroom Yeah. and they put in the floor plan and they did like the, the dotted line where Nate went and where tower 10 went. And I just looked at Joe. I'm like, we were inches from that hole. Mm -hmm. Like I had no clue how close we went to going in head first because again, I, I couldn't see shit in front of me. My my tick was dead. My integrated tick. I mean, I'm looking now at a two inch diagonal screen. That's what I'm using as my thermal imager in the darkest smoke I've ever been in my life. I'm just like, holy shit, dude! I had no I had no idea how close we were to to being in that in that bad spot. I know of at least one guy like hands in the hole trying to reach down, yeah. do stuff. And uh, I think that was when Joe was like, "We're, we're not." We're not going to accomplish anything here. Like we need to keep going. Yeah. Um, and there were even that for me, that anger still remains. And there was, there was a recruit a couple of years, like a year or so after who was a 10 and who was in the watch office. And, and this is coming from me because you guys have known me my whole life, but this dude is, is pretty mouthy. <laughs> and even as a recruit, which for me to say is, is groundbreaking. And he was like, I just don't understand if he went in and this happened and that happened. Why didn't the crews that were there do X, Y, and Z? 
<laughs> I don't know what the statute of limitations is, but I was like, I'm going to give you five seconds to get out of this office because we were in the watch office. I'm like, I have a keyboard in my hand that I'm happy to break over your head. And it's going to hurt you a lot. He's like, what? I'm like, I think we're down to like three seconds, bro. Like it was, I was just, it was just rage. Like I was just, I, I, I remember the corners of my eyes were just like, I was getting into a tunnel vision. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to kill this guy. Like I'm going to, I'm going to come back too. And I'm going to be strangling this dude. <laughs> Yeah, and there's that, a lot of that. That part, because I knew in in the back of my mind, I knew I'm like we are going to tear ourselves apart from the inside. I knew it. Like I, I already knew that Facebook was going to be blowing up with stupid stuff. I knew that when the report came out, there was going to be a lot of experts chiming in with the things that should have been, you know, and experts who have spent the majority of their lives at retirement stations. And uh, I just like I knew it, but even knowing it, I it still get to me. I would, I was just, just angry. Just like, dude, you weren't there. You, mm -hmm. it, we were processing thousands of little cues every second with radios going with multiple channels. I cam talked me out of getting the mayday audio because back then we could monitor all, all talk groups, right? Like if, if you had it on scanned, your entire talk group was scanned, right? So I remember we had the lapel mics with the channel selector. And every time I would do it, I would reach down and I knew exactly where to push under my coat to get to the Bravo talk group. And I would always keep my, my lapel mic on two. So then I would switch back to one and I knew it wasn't Bravo one because normally all our BS runs are on Alpha 2, right? Mm -hmm. So I switched to Bravo, switched to 1, I'm set. But I would always scan because I always wanted to see what this fetch channel was doing. And I, I'm kind of mad at my memory because I heard Nate give his Mayday because I was scanning. I heard him give out a Mayday and he had a very distinctive voice. And I, I grabbed Joe. I was like, dude, that's Nate calling Mayday. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, for the most part, yeah. I'm like 80% sure it was him. By that point, Molly was calling, was giving her Mayday. And, um, the try is like, I really tried and nobody would give me the audio. I'm like, I, it's not some morbid thing. It's for me, a lot of things ended up being a massive question mark, just like play those old video games where like half the map is obscured and you can't see anything. You don't know what's there that's a lot of what happened that night and in, in the timeline of my memory. And I want to minimize that as much as possible. And uh, it took a long conversation with Cam recently, like a month ago, because to this day, I'm still, I'm, I'm angry that a lot of these folks up at dispatch, up at headquarters, they're, you know, they're like, Hey, we have the audio. You can't have it. It's bad for you. I'm like, how the fuck do you know what's bad for me? Right. Mm -hmm. Like I'm doing everything by the book. I'm talking to a therapist. I'm, you know, getting back on the horse and working. I'm, I'm doing all these things. Who are you to tell me what's good and what's bad for me? Um, and that is something that I guess I've come to just realize that I'm just not, I'm, I don't know that I would serve anything. Maybe one day I'll listen to it. I don't know. It's, but all this to open up the fact that I'm listening to you guys talk about your 
getting back to the firehouse and and you know taking the time to appreciate what you did leading up to that point and and slowly getting back to it i took a very dark path where i started just pinpointing every single bad thing that the department did because who am i going to lash out like i i can't lash out of my crew or you guys cuz we did the best we could and now there's because we got shafted a bunch of times and it that was that was instrumental in me just losing all faith in in the higher ups because they did some just fucked up things to us when we should have been grieving when we should have been spending time with our families they were like hey it's going to be great if you guys drive all the equipment from Howard to Hever to Grace cuz you're his shift mm. on the friday for the gen pop viewing and we're like that was the only day of the week that we were going to have to spend time with our families. So, you know, I had to get, I had to pay a friend 20 bucks to drive me down to Howard so I could drive one of five to Havre to Grace so that George and Ryan and any of these guys didn't have to make the trek themselves. And I'm like, why couldn't you have like fleet do it? Don't we have like a fleet division? And we got to the church. It had been raining. So we're, the guys from Joppa Magnolia brought down a bunch of uh, brushes and buckets and, um, you know, just stuff to detail the, the units. And the people from Fleet are walking in and they're class A's and they're making comments. Hey, you missed a spot. Joe looked at me. He's like, don't. Because I think I, like I was, I'm like, if I break this stick, I can stab him with it. Or I can just beat him with it. Like I was, I was going in my mind. I'm like, how violent can I get? How, like, how much? And it was that. It was. And now we're really fast forwarding. But so, Woodscape happened on Sunday. Well, technically Monday morning, right? Then we had Tuesday off. We came back to work Wednesday. The like friends and family viewing, like the very intimate, was Thursday. So we were there for that. Friday was the day we were supposed to be off because that was when the whole world was coming to pay his respects. We couldn't be off that day. And um, Saturday was, was the memorial service and, and you know, everything, flyovers, the whole, the whole shebang. And I remember we, um, George was staying with me because my apartment was in Bel Air, like half a mile from Main Street where everybody was hanging out. And everybody from the department, I mean, the majority of the people from the department left the viewing at like four or five in the afternoon. And what do firefighters do? They go drinking. Mm. And we left after, again, moving apparatus. I don't know why, but we like had to move apparatus back to, uh, I don't know if we went back to Havard Grace or the, I don't know. It, it got to a point that I'm like, I'm done. I'm like, F I know how to make my way to my parents. I'm going to walk home. They finally drove us back, and George and I decided we were going to go see what what everybody was doing, and we got there at eleven o'clock. And there were, I think somebody was on his like fifth speech about we got it from here, brother, like drunken speech. Um, there were chiefs getting dragged out, like I'm talking, toes dragging on the floor as they got two people under their shoulders dragging them out. They're so drunk, and it was one person went up to George and said, how do you feel knowing that your shift mate died? 
And trust me, I pushed George's button so much. Like, to the, there are times where he's thrown things at me, and I have never seen him so angry. Like, he started balling up a fist and reaching back. I had to, like, throw him into a bear hug, and I said, we're leaving. Like, we are. It, it was disgusting. It was a disgusting show of, quote-unquote, fire department brotherhood. Because, to me, it just solidified the fact that we can turn anything into a reason to just get sloppy drunk. Disrespectful, like <clears throat> Otter was there, and Otter literally grabbed the bartender and said, "These guys are on my tab. They don't pay for a single thing." And I was like, "Dude, thank you, but we're we're leaving. Like, I we're we're gonna end up like getting arrested if if we stay here because it was just it was just infuriating. It was and I don't know, like that, that sent me down a very dark spiral because it's like we're taking this opportunity to just drink. Mm. Have we learned nothing? Guys, like it happened to solid crews. Like <laughs> imagine if it had happened to some non-high performing crews. Could have been way worse. Mm-hmm. Like we, we still lost one of our guys and we had some of the best working that day. And instead of being like, hey, let's look within, now we just make it into a chance to <clears throat> drink and get drunk and make t-shirts and make stickers. And it was, I don't know, it, I still wrestle with that a lot. Um, yeah, I remember we, <clears throat> I forgot about that night, we were, we made the conscious effort to have, like, we kind of call it like family time. Like, yeah. I remember we all... Had a meal. We had a meal together. We went very to a private. restaurant. It was very private. We didn't allow anybody in. It was just us with spouses. Um, I remember our phone was blowing up like, hey, we want you guys over here. We yeah, want to make a speech. And it was incessant. Like, no, you need to come over here right now. We want to do speeches and this and that. And like, we're, we're having family time. We're, we'll come over when we're ready. And it was really nice to detach. Yeah. And hang out together and spend time together. Um, we were our best support system. We were. God. We were. I don't know what kind of foresight we had, but we, um, to come away and kind of put up a little bit of a wall and For just sure. have us time. Like we yeah. insulated ourselves to protect ourselves, but we did it in such a way that we had the ability to connect and talk and yeah. decompress without the distractions of everything that's yeah. happened externally. Brian opened his home up. Yeah. Had us all up there stay yeah. for that night. And before that, I guess, yeah. we went over there and, and that dude's like or whatever. Martha Stewart, man. He, I think he has like apron on, <laughs> spotless, crock pot meals. Like every the top meal shelf was, a, was out. <laughs> top shelf, you know, bourbon connoisseur stuff was out. And that was another period. Like we kept focusing on having time for us to connect with each other, just be together and with our wives and stay just close. be together. Yeah. And, not funnel into that side of mm-hmm. it. I think that was some of the first drinks I had, you know, almost a week later. Yeah. Even then it was slow. It was slow. Oh, yeah. I remember when we did go over there, we just kind of were, you could tell our heads were up every mm-hmm. now and then you would just see guys scan around to like check on each other, yeah. make eye contact. You're good. Um, just give each other a look. One or two drinks, but it's just the way it worked out. I don't think we ever even talked about like, hey, these are some things we should do or not do. It was just, it was solemn enough that we 
Yeah. We never got in on the... Yeah, and I think we saw what that other end was because we... But when we got over there and saw that, it's it was, like, ooh. Yeah. There are people that just weren't doing well for many reasons. You guys are so nice. <laughs> I'm over here just like lobbing stones at these folks. And I mean, I, I hope they listen. And no, I think, well, I think that's everybody has a story and the way they deal with it. Yeah. That's just what worked for us. Yeah. And there are, I think for the people that weren't there and we saw this at seven, I mean, in the wake of it, we saw a lot of people when they got detailed into seven, they'd call out sick <laughs> or yeah, we saw that too. Um, there were a lot of people that as these stories came out of what we had to go through, I think, and I don't mean to assume too much, but I think they realized like this job is what people have claimed it is. It can be. Yeah. And there are people that weren't there that wanted to be there and struggle with that. I think there are people that weren't there and don't, I've had people say, I don't know. I don't think I, or I know I could not have done what the crews there did. And I struggle with that. And people struggle in their own ways. And I think that um, it gave an opportunity for reflection, but some of that reflection may not have been in the healthiest ways. So what better way to cope than with alcohol yeah. and making speeches and making t-shirts? And those are all fine when tempered appropriately. Yeah. Um, but uh, we had... In the, uh, the very uncanny way, I think we had an opportunity to like take care of each other in a way that um, we didn't realize we were doing, but we knew it felt right. And um, it, I think we, it kept us even closer. You know, we weren't numb to things. We 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 made a conscious, or maybe even unconscious effort to to feel the feels and talk it out, and um, just have that connection. And I think. We all struggled in our own ways, but we fared better because we knew we had each other. That's what it was. We had each other. Yeah. At, so the next day the funeral comes, and I remember it, for a lot of people was kind of more like pomp and circumstance, you know, right? We're all in class A's and station 10, like you all, I think I had, were already like seated before the procession started, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, because we brought him in, like we, yeah, from the the funeral home was in Haverty Grace, this, this tiny little, tiny little structure with very creaky wooden floors, and uh, along with so our honor guard, Harford County's honor guard, and um, we put four guys on on one one escorting Nate came down to the the church and um. Jesus, I guess that that's technically Java area. And yeah, by the time everybody just kind of filed in, we were already pretty much said, I do. I, that is when a lot of the blacking out starts because I can't tell you mm -hmm. what happened on. I can tell you what happened on, on the, the very private, intimate viewing that we had Thursday, but then Friday was a lot of people. And then Saturday was a ton of people it was yeah. just oh it was i'm like dude i don't want to wear this class a ever again i just want to like i just want to go hang out with my friends and chill i just want yeah. to sleep i remember they so you all already in there yeah we're getting ready to start this massive almost statewide funeral like governors there everybody and they're like hey station seven lead lead the procession in to this massive auditorium so i remember the you know captain love and i were 
where the officers are seven, we're going to, we'll start the procession. So we're just sitting there standing at the doors waiting to get the green light. And I remember the honor guard, I think it was Dylan Murray comes out holding Nate's youngest kid. And remember they have, they're having less of five kids. Yeah. I mean, three of their own. And the youngest comes out and he's on his hip. And he comes out the doors and I'm thinking like, hey, we're good. Like we're going to leave it in. It's going to be fine. And they stop right in front of us and they start looking around. And his youngest kid, I don't remember how old he was at the time, two or three maybe. And he goes, hey, that's daddy's fire truck. Oh, like, let's go. I want to go see daddy. And I remember Captain and I, like, our chins hit our chest and um, we lost it. Um, kids, I mean, always freaking get me, man. Yeah. And when he says, like, I, I want to see daddy. Show me daddy's fire truck. Um, all right. And he's, and you know, he was awesome. He's like, yeah, let's go see dad. Um, man, that gutted me walking in there and you know, we lead it in the processions happen and all that. And then, um, I know on the back end, they line up, they had us all line up. It was that weird couple hours of no rain and full sun in the middle of summer and people are dropping left oh, and right. Was... <laughs> and they, to start it off, I remember they had like a procession for the wives. And yep. I think it was like a show of respect. <laughs> and I remember a couple of our wives, just strong, independent, capable women were like, fuck that. <laughs> you will not put me on display. I'll be back here. Do what you need to do. This is for him. Nice gesture, but no thanks. And people were falling out left and right. And then, um, and then you get to the wake. I remember just being, we kind of, I remember we stood off to the side again. Yeah. We did our own thing. Um, you know, all kinds of people just hammered drunk, like arm around the shoulder, like you guys did, you guys did a great job, you know, you did what you could or whatever. Um, and it was nice that people were thinking of us and were listening and paying attention, but, um, it was just a weird spot to be in. I wasn't sure how I felt about that yet when people would say that. Yeah. I don't remember a lot of the funeral. Yeah. Um, I think it's that defense mechanism. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. I think I remember feeling that funerals were kind of designed to make you cry, to let that feeling be real and to let a little of it out. Um, and I, <clears throat> it weighed on me. We sat behind 10. Yeah. And 10 and the wife, 10's wives. Yeah. They're significant. All the significant others. And uh, that weighed on me. Yeah. Seeing them. I remember, I remember some of the wives, I think it was Kristen Schultz, was like, just she was handing me tissues. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we're all sitting there crying together, and she's just like one row back, just like handed feeding me <laughs> tissues for a couple of times. Um, Dude, going back to the people falling out, that was probably one of the funniest things. And we, we try to find the most humor in... Um, in that whole situation, because that's that's all that we could do. And there were some like there were some moments like <laughs> at um at the viewing for for friends and family only. Again, this like old funeral home, rickety wooden floors, and we're all standing there. And God bless Coleman. I don't know what he had for lunch. He was a little gassy, and he led one out <laughs> like when <laughs> at the the best time when it was all just quiet. And this thing just like. Makes a student sound. 
And I got George on one side, Glenn on the other, and we are, you know, we're dumb to begin with, and we just make each other laugh. And <laughs> Coleman just goes, whoops. And I think George Lindor is like, oh, ain't as tight as I used to, huh? And it was just, it was over. Like, it, we, there were people, like, doors flew open, and we came out crying with laughter. And I remember, like, there were some SISM people, because, like, are you guys okay? I'm like, this is the first time I've laughed in, like, a week. Like, and this is, there's a lot of emotion that's going to come out. And then fast forward to when we were, st I think I was, we put Ryan and somebody else up top on the engine. George and I were on the, we're standing on the, on the tailboard and we're watching and you just see people's just, you, not even people, just class A hats and suddenly a hole in the crowd. And then a handful of people converge and somebody's legs get dragged out. Like it was just. Yeah, people were literally getting drugged oh, dude, out. They were dropping left. It was kind of, I mean. I, I feel bad for them, but at the time you're just like, oh my god, this is chaos, <laughs> this is mayhem, and I'm just like, I'm. We're trying to place bets. We're like, hey, which part of the crowd do you think is gonna fall out next? And then it wasn't the one you expect. You're like, damn it. It wasn't too long after that. Um, you know, next shift or two, um, Celeste comes. Are we here that Celeste wants to come talk to Seven? I have a story about this. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, and we didn't know what it was going to be. We just thought, okay, she wants to come talk to Station 7. You know, we pulled her husband out. I was sweating. And we thought we'd sit at the kitchen table and everything was going to be fine. You know, she'd have some questions for us. And um, I remember some of, like, the union and family reps came a little earlier. <clears throat> I was like, hey, man, so, like, what's up? What, what we, should we expect? And the one guy was like, oh, she's going to ask you what happened. She wants to know, like, how you found him, um, what position he was in. Did he have air denied? Or, like, she's going to ask you hard questions, so buckle up. And I remember thinking, talking to Kevin, I was like, we cannot do this with the whole shift. Um, we got to, we have to do this. Yeah. And I remember we went into, like, the TV room, and we kind of had our little intimate thing, and she asked hard questions. Yeah. And I get it from her point. She wants to know what the hell happened to her husband. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty emotional and pretty stressful. Um, and I tried to be as honest as I could. I tried not to assume too much because, you know, we still didn't have answers. Yeah. Um, just remember coming out and then like going right back into immediately, like running calls and going in that. We were, I was nervous that day. We knew she was coming and didn't know what to expect. And, uh, you guys didn't tell us beforehand that it was just going to be you two. Mm. So when you took her in there, like, and closed the door, I was like, oh, wow. Like, uh, you just sheltered us from that. And I was driving on the wagon that day on 71. Yeah. And, uh, after you guys came out, we were running goals and, uh, we ran a medical down off Harmel with Sierra Lane. Mm -hmm. And we were coming out, pulled the wagon over. I said, man, that was some big boy shit. To, I remember that. To sh shoulder that and uh, step up and have the forethought to save us all from having that, exp that exposure, that experience, that memory, good or bad, because we didn't know what was coming. But uh, I was super duper impressed with you and Captain Love that day. 
Hey, and you never told me, and you haven't to this day, what was said there, and you've never spoken. Man, that's a big deal. Thank you. It was, um, I did uh, most of the talking, um, and it was just hard questions. Not asking, you know? No, but, no, it's but, okay. Uh, she wanted to know what happened. Yeah. She wanted to know what he looked like. She wanted to know... She wanted to know the things that other people were going to tell her. That was just a real big deal. I still feel that way. Yeah, that was a weird one. Um, and I mean, just on the heels of that, like just constant funerals, retirees yeah. coming through and just left, right? And there were some times when the department, not the department, there were certain individuals that were very checked out and were like, all right, well, if you're going to do this, you need to use your own leave. And like, it was just, it was very inconsistent. It was very weird there for a while about which ones we were going to, which ones we weren't. And then got to points of like 10 and seven, we talked to each other. Like, hey, you doing this one? Are you going to this one? Yeah. Yeah. And we tried to be as supportive as possible um, to the family. And it just got to the point where like, we're starting to pour from an empty cup. It's going to be a little too much. And I love bagpipes. Oh, boy. And Not I'm, anymore. And um, it's also getting to be a little too much. And so it got to the point to where, like, um, we had to bow out. It was, it was taking a, it was taking a toll. And that's, <laughs> and I can't, like, stress enough how impressed I am by Celeste and the family because they were doing it at an insane pace, constant being pulled in so many different directions and there's, you know, a dozen grown-ass men are like, yeah, we need to, we need, sit to, this we, one we out. need to sit this one out. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> she is a rock star and I've, I've told her and I, I will always feel this way. She is just an absolute machine for, for doing that. Because if somebody has, if somebody ever had the carte blanche to be like, no, I'm not doing that. It's her. Yeah. And the fact that, and she and I talked about it. I'm like, I, from our end, it felt like they were parading her as some sort of celebrity. Um, everybody, I, I was present for a conversation where Tebow was like, hey, this politician, like, I, I don't remember who it was. So important that I, I forgot who it was. Hey, they want to talk to you. And I, I pulled Tebow aside later. I'm like, like Why? Why can't just they let her be? Like, what's this politician going to do? Nothing. Hmm. Nothing. Like, it's... She's in the middle of grieving. Like, she doesn't need to be some sort of, like, political showpiece. Yeah. For for whatever reason. I mean, she's... I, could, I can only imagine how saturated it got with all the memorial services. It, like, helped. I, I, I didn't even want to go to Colorado. Like, yeah, I, because I knew I'm like, this is more the same thing. Like Crestlawn, when we did that one, I was just like, I don't, I don't. Yeah. I don't and they, I mean, the kids were there yeah. and again, like the kids, his one daughter went up for one of them because she wanted to like present something. Like she made something or something for her dad that they could keep in like a vessel. And I remember like just Pete got it again. Cause you know, here come, here comes the daughter just. Strong as her mom. And a, yeah. and a spitting image. Spitting image. Oh, yeah. God, man. Um, and, I mean, you want to see 
you know, 30 grown men cry. As soon as those kids get involved, man, like we were done. Yeah. Um, they're just, their strength is unreal. We did a lot though. It was a lot. We did a lot. It was a crazy pace. I forgot, um, not too long after my oldest had turned, was turning five and both sides of our family were at our house and we're all close and, you know, I'm one of four, my wife's one of three, girlfriends, wives were all there, grandparents, and uh, I'm grilling. And when I come into the kitchen and the girls are running around and having a good time and everybody's playing games with each other and everybody's happy and together. And I remember sitting in my kitchen and just looking over my shoulders like, Celeste is at home, without husband, without the father, and I broke down in my kitchen. Yeah. I remember feeling so guilty that I am here getting to experience this and be with my kids. And she's at home without that. I remember I went upstairs and I got in a good cry, came back down, <laughs> washed my face and uh, went back to grilling. And um, I didn't tell anybody about that for probably at least a year. Um, And then... Enough time had gone by where people are starting to push. I had a couple of close friends like, hey, what you all went through was pretty insane. Like, you need to you need to educate people on this. Like, put your name in for FDIC, whatever. I was a little resistant at first, um, but I started just kind of throwing a presentation together and getting ready for it and seeing if they would even accept it. And I had the opportunity to talk about, like, our experience and do my presentation for the RIT operation at a uh, Chiefs, Maryland Chiefs conference. And I found out right before I get there that Celeste and Mark Falkenham's wife are going to be there. And so I go through the, you know, the incident. She was able to see some videos that she hadn't seen before, um, provided some more context. Um, and I talked about my experiences and just told a couple of those stories where I kind of broke down with my family. And I remember thinking, like, how dare I talk about my experiences and right. my times when I felt weak in front of the two widows that lost their husbands in the line of duty. And I remember them coming up to me afterwards. I'm like, here was Joe. You know, I remember feeling two inches tall and she's I'm getting ready for her to be like, how the fuck dare you? <laughs> and um, they both gave me a hug and like, and, and thanked me. I like, I think she did something effective. Like, you know, sometimes we forget that you guys struggled too and you got stuff going on at home. Um, so thank you. And I also had a picture of me and Nate from when we were riding together one day and she's like, I hadn't seen that picture before and like that smile that he had. So thank you for that. Um, and it totally like, oh my God, she's, she's reasonable. Like she's just an awesome person. And, um, it, it put me at ease, but I was, I was terrified, absolutely terrified. Um, yeah, she's the embodiment of grace. <laughs> that's, that's the best way I can put it. She's. God, like you I, mentioned, uh, Colorado though. Yeah. So, IFF Memorial in Colorado Springs, and so you know we all go, and um, I was super thankful for you because we got out and we hiked, and we did all the sightseeing, and yeah. we we moved. The, what, the amount of stuff that we did in like a 72-hour period was just insane. Right? I just want the record to show that we hiked the Manitou Incline before you guys. So 
I think we have the land speed record though. Yeah, for whatever. Five this is a shock. <laughs> George is just trying to show off, and he's like sprinting up the hill. I'm like, it's gonna catch up to him. It's gonna catch up. He's like, Tej, I can't breathe. I'm like, I told you, we're at altitude, idiot. <laughs> so I actually, um, like an idiot, I forgot my pants. I remember. I that. forgot my class A pants. <laughs> oh, that's right. From all the I forgot about that freaking funeral, the stuff, yeah. and all the uh, wakes and memorials, and. Zolik had a connection in Colorado Springs. That dude knows some everybody. And yeah. literally pulled up to the hotel like an hour before, like, here's some pants. Yeah, they didn't come in like lights and sirens. They fit better than my own pants. <laughs> like, what are the chances? This guy was phenomenal. I think he's the assistant chief out there somewhere. Um, So totally saved me. And then, you know, we do the funeral. And I remember just, I think that's when I really first started, like, I, like I tied one on the night before, like just sweating Guinness and whiskey. And we do the incline. Hell. And we get to the top, <clears throat> and I remember. Oh. I remember feeling like that was closure for us. It was me, you, and Brian. We got to the top, and I think it was that period of struggle and getting to the top of a literal and metaphorical mountain. We had the closure of the memorial, and we get to the top. And I remember we were just kind of like arm in arm, and uh, I feel like like a weight was lifted off of our shoulders in that moment. Uh, I don't, it was, I remember from that moment on how impactful that was. And, um, it was a couple months later, my wife, like had a little trip. We went, we we're going to Shenandoah and I remember cresting over this one hill. And as soon as I saw the mountain, I just started crying. Cause I remember thinking that the feel that I got when, um, they just being in nature, but then also just like getting to the top of these mountains and struggling and knowing that it's okay. Um, it changed me like that climb changed me. Yeah. It was different after that. And there was something in the struggle. Yeah. Something that you can find, especially with friends, um, us mm. doing hard things together. Um, you go places sometimes spiritually, um, it brings it out or you find it. I think we all felt it there. Yeah. And we called Drini on our way back down. <laughs> yeah. So you could be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> That's where uh, Colorado Springs is where the bagpipes happen. I, I don't think I've heard one since. And uh, I'll choose that all the time. I just don't show up or tune it out. Mm. But I can't, can't do bagpipes anymore. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know many that can from seven or ten. That, yeah. I don't I I don't like memorial services. It's I'll I'll do as much as I can behind the scenes. I, I remember when when Kelsey Paul and Kenny got killed earlier this year, I just I'm like, nope, I'm not I'll do what I can. I'll I'll support from afar. But it's I I, I can't do the the uniforms, the backpipes, the drinking the speeches. It's I I'm kind of jealous, jealous that you guys got that mountain closure because mm -hmm. I'm still looking for that one moment. And I don't think it's going to be that one moment. I think it's just going to be, I think, you know, your boy Jocko talks about it, the the waves. Yeah. Uh, you, you learn how to ride them a little bit better. They, they still come, just not as often. And you kind of like get used to them. And selfishly, I was kind of hoping it was going to be an it 
moment <laughs> uh, seeing the mountains seeing the light the nature it's i've bounced around i remember i i threw myself into into work as i feel most of us did um michelle actually had a talk with me she's like dude you've gone to these hazmat bomb school like rad new class you've gone to all of these like three times a year like what are you doing like you're you're sacrificing your summers your time off like what on earth i i, I think that year I, I spent two weeks at the nfa doing a chemistry hazmat class like bitter winter so stupid cold and every night i'd just be hanging out there by the memorial just kind of like looking I'm like is there gonna be an epiphany is there like like what i i went to colorado on a whim i went to see oar just by myself i'm like i need to i mm. i i need to i went to red rocks um made some friends who actually they handed me a deck of cards I'm like what the hell they're like you've never been to an oar concert have you i'm like apparently i haven't been doing it the right way because when they played crazy game of poker it was like the energy of that place just everybody just launching decks of cards <laughs> into the air and you see random cards fluttering down um, but I made it a point to take, to make the drive from Denver to the Springs and, um, and just look at the memorial, just me and some random homeless dude pooping behind the bushes, which Colorado, I, I always find the pooping homeless dudes in Colorado. Every time I go there, I found one in, in Pueblo, found one in Colorado Springs. I'm like, Christ dude. And, um, uh, same thing with like the Annapolis one. I just kind of like i i can't do the official stuff i just try yeah. to go and be like <laughs> annapolis kind of hit me hard because then i started recognizing more and more names i'm like fuck yeah dude. like <laughs> i hate the fact that i know so many of the people here you do this long enough it just uh, yeah you know, and this is nothing against military at all like let's say you do your average four and out they have done amazing things for themselves for this country like my love runs deep um, sometimes it might be a four and out, you know, we accumulate some of these things that we have 20, 25, 30 plus years. And you do start to recognize those names. Yeah. Um, I know you talk about the Banner Brothers podcast and Jocko. I'm a big one for that. Yeah. Just talk, talk on that for a minute. Well, uh, Woodscape consumed me for years. I just, I thought about it all the time every day um and uh i thought i was pretty well back to a pretty good uh order of life i guess but um i never really uh it, it's just it took a while and um for so um <laughs> I struggled for, well, ever since then, but for two years, it was probably worse. First two. Um, and uh, I think I didn't seek help. I, I didn't have a therapist. I should have. Um, I wish I would have. And for anybody listening, you should jump right on that. Um, I thought for a long time about writing notes or keeping a journal and I should have done that. It was probably <clears throat> two and a half, three years before I started writing. And then I sat down for a couple of days and put 20, 30 pages down. And mm. that made a huge difference for me. Uh, but the first big difference 
for me um, came when our dear friend Brian uh, was listening to a podcast, mm. Jocko, I think number 17. Um, and right around, I think, the hour and 14-minute mark, it's a Band of Brothers podcast, but he starts kind of talking, I think almost going off script, sending a message um, to the veterans. Um, and uh, I listened to it. I listened to it a ton, wrote you know, many times. Um, and it gave me the words that I couldn't find to get some of that closure mm-hmm. or to express my feelings uh, about it. And it was, uh, I think that was two, two and a half years later, whenever he sent that out. Um, and immediately I felt that weight. That was the first weight lifted off the shoulders for me. But uh, I would recommend, I, th- I think those words are uh, not nearly as well known as they should be for yeah. people that have had uh, events or things that have left scars. Um, I've pulled up here, it's paraphrased. Yeah, I think we like if we can, we'll try to throw it on the end of this so people can hear it. Yeah. But if you yeah, yeah, paraphrase it for us, well, I actually have it, I have it queued up in my podcast thing. But um, it's uh, it more or less says that if you're having one of those dark days, it's okay. It's okay to feel that darkness and to remember it and miss it, hate it, and love it. And it's okay to wish it never happened, and at the same time to wish it never stopped. And it's okay to want to take it all back, and at the same time to want to do it all again. And if you've got it in your mind that you think that nobody understands, it's okay. They don't. But you do. You know the darkness, but more important than that, you know good. You know light, and you know laughter and love better than anyone. So embrace it. Own it. Don't look away from it. Don't parade it in booze or pills. Live your life. Embrace it with physical activity and nature, friendships, um, music, good times, you know. I encourage everybody to listen. And, uh, yeah, it's about moving forward. And that's... Uh, I went from, like, 50%. I kind of always rated myself like a self-assessment um, as like a percentage. Like if I, if I felt like I was 50% back to more or less normal or who I was before Woodscape, I probably jumped up to like 80% just hearing that. Yeah. Which is the power of words. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it's music or song or the ability to write something down um, or simply a key conversation with somebody. Uh, not long after that, a few months after Brian sent us that. Training was detailed out to four. And uh, Woodscape didn't come up all day. Because you were, you had left seven and you were now at four. I was at four. Yeah. Um, And it didn't come up all day. And I think that, like, you don't always want to be that guy that brings it up. Mm -hmm. Because you never know your buddy. If he's in a good head space that day, you don't want to be the guy to, like, bring it up and kind of ruin that for him. Um, But... We went down to the grill, old four, to mm-hmm. cook dinner, and they came up there and he asked how, how I was doing, and uh, more or less said, it's been hard, and uh, man, I really miss the guys mm-hmm. from 
Um, and I remember saying to him that like everything that had happened in life pretty much to that point put us there for that, mm-hmm. you know, when we got hired or the activities we did growing up or the choices we made or what were made for us, um, missed promotions, uh, transfers that you didn't ask for, uh, you never really know why things are happening, you know, um, Half the reason I even ended up at seven was because John was in the hospital for three months when he was born. Um, when I came back for a few months, I tried to stick out the paramedic thing, but I really struggled with it. So I mm-hmm. let it go. And uh, a few days later, I was transferred to 7A. If John wouldn't have been in the hospital, would, would I have been there for that? Right. You know, so um, sometimes things happen and you don't know why. F- if you're fortunate, you get to look back and see kind of why things came together the way they did sometimes or why if it happened, if it didn't seem like it made sense at the time or it wasn't what you wanted. But um, everything that had happened at that point put us there for that. Mm. Such time as this. And, you know, we got to pick up and move forward and got a lot of life to live after that. So yeah. where are we going to go and what are we going to do? But uh, so that was just one of those conversations that made another big jump in that recovery. Um, just that communication, you know, I would, I would, I wish we would have talked about it more. Yeah. Uh, I think instead of being scared to bring it up, man, we should have just talked about it. Yeah, you know, and I would encourage people if you're thinking about it, talk to me about it because I, I'm probably thinking about it too. Yeah, you know, I sent you that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a message on the third anniversary because nobody was talking about it. And I'm like, I don't want to be that guy, but if you're having a hard day, I am. So call me like, um, and you did call and we did have a talk about that and cry and let a little more out and yeah, move forward a little more. Yeah. The second anniversary wasn't bad. Like there were some moments and we had talked to that. Um, you, I mean, for a couple of years, you think about it every single day and I probably had one, time or another, like every single day for the first year or two, I would get misty eyed over something. Yeah. Sometimes it was good. Sometimes it was bad. Sometimes it was thankful. Um, sometimes it was maybe feeling a little defeat. Um, but, and then over time we got to the point where we both actually were like, Hey, I went 24 hours without thinking about it. I remember the very first time, uh, was a month shy of three years when I was back at seven. Yeah. And I came to you and a project at home so consumed with my thoughts I came to and I came to work the next day and I was like hey buddy I, I think I didn't think about it yesterday for the first time yeah you know three years yeah um just to give an idea of yeah you know but like you said with the podcast and with other people other people that have experiences um it never truly leaves it yeah, changes in kind degree of what, or severity yeah kind of what TJ yeah. touched on there yeah. about those waves of emotion um decreasing in frequency and amplitude over time, but they never go away. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the other Jocko podcasts where he talked about, uh, he had an old World War II veteran in there, 95 years old, and uh, broke down, crying about the buddies that he lost 50 years ago, you know? And that's when even Jocko realized it in himself that, oh, this this is never going to go away. So, yeah. But uh, we do have a responsibility to to live also, mm-hmm. um, 
and carry on and, you know, make more memories and do more things together, you know? Yeah. yeah you really helped me on that one anniversary. Cause I remember, I think we had worked out together that morning and I remember thinking the entire time, like we should do something. We should go out. We should get coffee. We should do this and do that. Yeah. And I remember thinking, um, I don't want to be a burden. Like, I don't want to like hijack these people's day, you know? And so I left and I remember feeling like there was this weird buildup and I'm thinking like, it's been a few years now, like I'm doing better. Like why? And not that I was ever like super struggling, but it was just like, this one's kidding me for some reason. I don't understand why. Um, and I, I remember you, you had felt it. And I remember like, I don't remember who called you. I yeah. thought you had called me. Yeah, whatever. Um, but you remember like, like I could feel the energy. Yeah. I can tell it's all, you're off. Are you okay? And I remember I was in my driveway and I, like, I was crying hard enough I couldn't talk to you. Yeah, I remember that. That was number three. That was three. Yeah. And I just didn't understand why. Um, that was the whole I thing. I think a lot of it was, you just don't know when it's going to come. And there was a lack of connection, I think. Like, I was just, I really wanted to be with my guys. And yeah. in an effort to, like, not get in anybody's way, I started like internalizing and not talking to people. And um, I was like, no, 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 I don't want to bother them, this or that. And everybody just wants to be together. (laughs) That was, I was, what surprised me about number three was that um, I, it snuck up on me. I thought it was okay. Mm. And then I realized that like in June or um, the beginning of July, like I was fidgety my heart was keeping skipping beats or it was just fast all the time. I wasn't sleeping. And really I thought it was just normal life things that was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, and then all of a sudden one day I'm like two and a half hours in on the lawnmower and I'm just, there's nobody around and I'm just crying mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere for no reason. And then it, it dawned on me like, Oh, it's anniversary time. Yeah. Yeah. This is what's coming. And then I read, that's when I realized that the after effects of dealing with something like this, and I don't really agree with putting labels on things, so I'm not going to, but um, it affects you physically, and it's not just yeah. a mental thing after that. Yeah. Um, you can see that physio- man, not, the physiologic, the catecholamine dump on the third anniversary was not far off of the first, the, the original, you know, yeah. the incident itself, and what I felt for a few days after that um, Man, it took me two weeks to get my head decent after the third anniversary. Yeah. That's where we were, you know? Yeah. I should have started talking to somebody sooner. Yeah. Um, I remember I was just super thankful that you had reached out and were aware enough that I was having a tough time and checking in. And then it was after that conversation, I was like, it is going to be okay. And he, people are paying attention and people are like, no, like there's still a little bit of struggle there. And it's not just me. And it's not, not just, just you, yeah. you know. Um, I remember like nasal breathing, like I would get like a little bit of anxiousness in my chest and like I could do all kinds of stuff, but like long nasal breathing and doing like box style breathing was one of the things that helped like kick it. Hmm. Um, and obviously going back to the struggle of like, that constant movement and getting in the gym 
you know, doing the hard work. And then maybe if it's, there's the physical side and then the not physical, more intellectual side of just talking about it and not letting it sit. Yeah. One of, um, super powerful quote, I think it was Tim Ferriss and it might have been Jocko talking about it again was, um, men are really good at bearing it down, right? Like we, we don't talk about it. We push it down. And the quote is like, I'm paraphrasing, but all these things that we push down, we think we're hiding, but little did we know that it was a seed and it grew. And is that the shade that we want to live under? Is these things that we're not talking and getting out, are those going to be the things that are going to manifest themselves into something that's going to be disastrous longer on or longer down the road? Yeah, that was that was me. We were in the year four before I got low enough to make that phone call. You know, I called Brian. I said, hey, buddy, I, I need to talk to somebody. He gave me the name mm-hmm. of somebody and... That was this year, but we're sitting here today. Like yeah. it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Um, April, May, June, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Same. I think the three of us in the room are trying to do things to uh, have that self-improvement and talk to somebody. And you know? they, you know, it's interesting to sometimes look back and see like, you know, I try to eat pretty, pretty clean mm-hmm. and I try to do a fair amount of exercise and I'll, um, we worked out hard before Woodscape. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still here, like at the level of, you know, managing this that I am like, where would I be if I wasn't eating clean? If yeah. I would have decided to start taking a drink or if I would have quit exercising thinking the likelihood of me ever having to do something like that again at work is, is a very small percent, but like, um, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take today off. Like, I can't do that. Like, where would we be today or where would I be today <clears throat> if we weren't doing some of those basic discipline things to mm-hmm. just maintain? Yeah. Um, and you're not doing it to the detriment where you're burning yourself out or not healing. Yeah, no, yeah. just... But constant little bits of improvement, you know, maybe change the scale or intensity, but you're doing things to consistently move because if you don't move, yeah, we well, know that end and it's not a healthy one. Yeah. Rolling Stone gathers no moss. Yeah. So you got to keep moving. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and I, um, that came to a head for me. Sorry. No, no, please. Um, I think after you had left seven, um, you were filling in at safety car, mm-hmm. I think one day when I was working at nine. And man, I was a, I was a wreck. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we kind of, we talked about it a little bit, maybe at that picnic table they had going on the engine bay there. Um, I I really thought that people lost sleep over things like this at night from like the way they, um, maybe they regretted their actions or maybe they wished they'd done something or whatever. Um, like we said earlier, I came to terms pretty quickly with like the way things played out. Um, but uh, it still weighed on me just huge um, to the point where, like, uh, I 
I said something to you that day that it didn't, I don't think it, uh, I don't think it hit you the way I intended it to, but I said something like, you've kept me alive more times than you know. And you, you thought that we were talking about that night. Oh, I didn't really have a ton of regrets after that, the way we did that, but I still thought about ending things in the years after. Uh, what's Kate? And uncontrolled kind of thing. And every time that, like, those thoughts would creep into my mind, I would think about, like, how unfair it would be for me to be going through that and for me to show up and work with you every day and for you to not have any idea of where I'm at and how that would be absolutely unfair, like, and the, the pain that that would cause you to, uh, if I were to do that, you know, um, I got to the point where I knew the gun, where it would be, who I would write letters to, and what they'd say. Um, and it almost got to feel like there was a couple people that I just knew, even though the, like my mind was going there, I just knew that I could not let them down like that. Not to mention I felt like if people, if I would have done that, people would be like, holy shit, like if Andy Hoffman did that, like what's going to do to me? Um, but uh, it scared me the day before we sat down at nine that day where uh, it almost felt like a destiny thing or like it was inevitable. Um, and I got scared. And that's when I knew I had to reach out and like get that person. But man, buddy, there were times when I just didn't want to let you down. It definitely goes both ways. And that's all I have to say about it. Jesus. No. We're having real talk now. Yeah. Yeah, we went there. Um, but I remember that day. And I remember talking to Jess and being, being scared. Like, one of the strongest guys I know It's really struggling. You know? yeah. You're one of the strongest, like, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually men I know. And to see you struggle... Um, scared me. And I think there was almost a strong, a little bit of a drama response. Like I, I think I, I even blocks part of that out. And I just remember, um, you know, that core group of us, if anything happened to any one of us, like it absolutely would kill me. Yeah. Like that would, that would destroy Who am I that I let you get there. Yeah. And, um, and there's so many times that I can look back on and mean like, it's so easy to get in the grind and routine of things of, doing the work around the house and, you know, got to get the kids here and there and you got to, oh, I got to empty the dishwasher and I got this errand to run. And so often I look back on some of those days and I'm like, none of this shit matters. Oh my gosh. There's a Micah Fink episode where for like at hour two, he just talks about like, none of this dumb shit matters. Like call that person that you care about, go hike that mountain 
go eat the good food, like check in on your buddy and make sure they're doing okay. That load of laundry can sit there. Like it doesn't fucking matter. Like those errands you got to run. And there's so often that I've regretted, like I get in the routine and my to-do list and I got to get all these things done and I have to accomplish this or that. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. like checking in on you and checking in on you. That's and connecting and saying, Hey, let's go out for coffee. Yeah. Let's go grab dinner. Let's get lunch. Let's, you know, let's go spend a weekend in West Virginia and go and go climb a mountain. Man, I love that. Um, those are the things that keep us alive. Putting back in that cup. And give us a cup to pour from. Yeah. And and uh it felt selfish to let me try to make myself a priority now and then to try to put something in that cup. Yeah. But man, if you want to be good for your significant others and your kids and your friends, if you got to put, you know, you got to do something for you a little bit here and there to yeah. to feed your soul so you can give everybody a better version or the best version of what you got, yeah. you got to get a little out of it somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, but. It took, a, it took me a long time to figure that out. It's, yeah. It felt selfish. and it does. It, it's uh, not. Yeah, it's not. Um, yeah, get something on the calendar, a little adventure, a little nature. Yeah. And uh, have something to look forward to. I remember the reason I wasn't, I was at nine um, was because I put my name in the half for captain. Um, and I did put a lot of eggs in one basket and I knew that. Um, I won't even get into that side of it. I think. I remember driving to my interview and I remember texting. We have our little text thread with me, you, Dreamy, and Brian. And I'm like, hey, I'm, man, guys, I'm really feeling all of this thing. Like, um, yeah. because I was so short for so long, like, it's not what I wanted. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to put some eggs in one basket and I'm going to see what I can make happen. And um, the closer I got to headquarters for my interview, the pressure in my chest. Yeah. And I remember I got to headquarters and Brian called me. He's like, are you okay? And I, I couldn't talk because I was crying so hard in the parking lot of headquarters. It's like, I'm about to interview for a rank that I could lose. I could lose you guys. I'm, I'm I, chances are good. I'm going to, I'm going to lose every bit of connection and trust I have. And I'm going to look back in whatever front seat I'm riding in. And I'm not going to see the guys that I trust. Um, and I know that's part of this job, but I'm like almost making a conscious effort to chuck the deuces and, and lose the best thing that I've ever had happen to me. And I remember he talked me through it and he brought me down and, you know, we talked about like leadership and connection and like, you know, chance opportunities and things that are going to happen that you'll never know about. And, um, you know, he's, I won't tell him to his face, but you know, he's, I love him to death and he's, you know, he's very wise and it brought me down, but I remember it completely rocked me and knowing that I'm going through motions to, to what felt like lose, lose everyone at seven. Lose that. Yeah. Lose that. Um, you know, sometimes I still second guess myself, but hit but you're right that you know maybe one of those chance moments was us coming back together at nine yeah and have you say that and like uh 
like you're going through now. Sometimes you just kind of, kind of trust the universe's working what it's working for you. You know, it's got yeah. something in mind. Yeah. Something bigger that you can't even imagine. You yeah. don't know. You know, we're, well, that was 2018. Yeah. So, so we're coming into our fifth year. Yeah. Um, you know, it's weird. I think we're all trying to do things to self-improve with like, whether it be therapy, the work, you know, the workouts. Um, I know it's made me a, a deeper, fuller person and it's, it's done amazing things for me and not just work like my wife and I really struggled and not necessarily because of work stuff. Like we had our own things going on and it, um, it made us so much stronger and has given us skills to, um, to work through these things, which I've been able to bring into work and work through things and be able to connect to people differently. Um, but it is weird. I think that enough time has passed where there are some people that are absolutely still holding up their end of the bargain. And I feel like there are some people that, um, have forgotten yeah. yeah. Um, that part didn't take long. No, it's unfortunate. No, it, you know, for, for a while, we every box we ran was, everybody was on high alert. I, I think I ran one working fire after that that, um, I forget who the battalion chief was, but he was spooked. Because yeah. it was, you know, and, and it manifested itself. It was a garage fire. I came around inside Charlie, and there was a dead punch through a hole in the wall, and it was little bit of flame coming out and I'm like okay and as soon as I said that over the radio like everything changed because um, I remember I was like I was in the middle of my transmission and the homeowner went back inside and I think I might have dropped an expletive saying like oh fuck this dude's going back inside but um for a while everybody was on like their a game and I went to 13 a few months after Woodscape <laughs> and Randy Furman told me like he tells me a story he's like I just remember hearing this litany of expletives and a BA come flying out of sight, Charlie in 131. Because I went to check it that morning and it was at like 3,800 PSI. Mm. And I probably like cursed in both English and Spanish. And I just launched this thing. Thankfully, a tanker wasn't there because I would have hidden. But um, I think I chipped the floor of the engine bay. I was just furious. I'm like, that quickly, huh? That Hell. quickly. At one of the most remote places where help is not coming for a while. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to consider just how much of the department <clears throat> has come since then. Yeah, wasn't here for that mm. a lot. Um, so maybe we do need to talk about it a little more and some of those lessons. And I know you've done a ton of work um, putting those classes together and trying to share the experience as much as possible. And oh. there's a whole new generation out there, there you is, know, yeah. since then. So. Um, I don't know about you guys. I try to make a point to visit Woodscape every now and then. Yeah, we we ride down there from seven yeah. here and there. I am. Um, there were a couple of times that the neighborhood Karens were trying to, because you know, off duty one like Saturday morning, and I'm just walking around. I had some lady be like, "You can't be here." I'm just like pointing to my uniform, I'm like, "Sure, I can." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh God, I'm gonna get in trouble." And um, the other day, we're leaving. Where was it that we did Thor recently? Somewhere in Fives area. And on the way back, uh, Chad Clark was the officer. I'm like, hey, you mind? He's like, not at all. Because we had two, like, brand spanking new guys, like, a year and a half in. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, one of them was like, holy shit, I didn't realize how big this place was. Like, I don't think the... I don't think they grasp the concept. I don't know how much we're talking about it in the academy or at firehouses. But it's, um, yeah, I, I do make it a point to at least once a year, if not multiple times, just to go and, just to go. And yeah. Be, yeah, we've done the same. that energy. Yeah, bring some of our new people up. Um, I still am active with the Fireground Survival Programs in the academy. I know there's some at least cursory level awareness they have of the incident and then just Fireground Survival Skills the academy um and i know there are plenty of people out there still holding up their end of the bargain and doing things every day to improve and get that one percent and there are some that um you know it is easy just to you know we work at 24 hour shifts sometimes it is easy to kick the feet up and not work out and go hide in your bunk and you know do those things but um you know the captain that was with us there at night he was but a year out from retirement, thirty over thirty years on, yeah. and he was in there with us. Yeah. These things can happen on the last day of our careers. Yeah, you just never know. You just never know. Yeah, and I, I still go to work thinking I may not have ran the worst call yet. Yeah, you know. Yeah, got to keep getting after it. One of my guys um, just the other day said, um, "Just a phenomenal human being." He was like. When I get assigned my position, I want to know that I'm the best person and they chose me for that spot. And if that's layout, there is, you will not find anybody else in the county right now that is going to lay out better than me. You're not going to find anybody else that's driving that ambulance that's going to be the two out better than me. And that is my spot and I'm going to own it and I'm going to do everything in my power to be the best person I can be for that job for that 24 hour period. And I think if everybody just took a, like just a little, little shred of that and you know focused on their job for that day and like what what's that one little bit it doesn't have to be anything grand it doesn't have to be some four-hour hands-on training even if it's just some little bit where you can say i did something today i improved myself i experienced a little bit of uh healthy struggle that little drip every single day for 30 years you're gonna look back on and realize I did okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I was ready. And it's just, uh, it's not just a work thing, but it's just a lifestyle, <clears throat> a lifestyle where be healthy, you know, exercise and, you know, do some little things here and there. And it's good for you at home and it's good for you at work. Yeah. You know, it's not here or there or separating whatever. It's a lot of little things you can do that make it easier for you and, good over the long run you hit on this earlier um it's not selfish to take care of yourself no oh, um, i think self-care is gets thrown out a little too easy and i've actually had people say that and some people have joked but some people have said this seriously like no i've got my like cup of sugar and i'm gonna go watch netflix and this is self-care because i need to decompress that's not self-care yeah <laughs> um you Yes, do the things to fill your cup, but that means go connect with a friend. Go have lunch with somebody that you care about and have meaningful conversation. Go on that trip. Go hike that mountain. Go travel somewhere to broaden your horizons and expectations and meet new people. You know, do the workout. Even if you're having an off day and don't feel good, 
get some rest, and then just go for a light run. Throw in a backpack, go rock, go walk your dog. Like you get some mobility. Get some mobility in the living room. Do floor. yoga. Yeah. Listen to a meditation. Um, yeah. Eat Sit in the silence. Food. You know, turn the phone off a little bit. Right. Let some silence come in and sit. You know, sit out for thing, a little bit. That's yeah. That's that is growth. Yeah. That is the thing that will fill your cup. That is going to make you a deeper, fuller person. Um. So I think we just need to be mindful of what we're doing on our not just our off days but yes obviously what we're doing on the floor um and just not be neglectful to relationships because when we don't have this job anymore um i think that's really going to matter and just having that even now and in like retirement or when you hang the hat up just having knowing what that mission is and just doing something every day to to improve it you know, and we were talking to David. I was just like, you left it better than you found it. Man, that's... And if you can say that... You're doing good. You're doing that's a okay. good career, yeah. yeah. Did all right. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a major call mm -hmm. for you to need to be like, oh, I had something major. I'm going to go look at this. I first started noticing changes in myself far before Woodscape happened when... I'd be on my way home from work and I'd be thinking about a medical call that happened 10 years ago mm -hmm. at the same traffic light on my way home every morning. Like, yeah, these are the little signs, like those little calls out. Like I, when you graduate the academy, like communication's important. If you, you know, get that therapist, get somebody to talk to. Mm -hmm. It's really nice to have that third, like I know you can get a lot from friends and talking and chatting and everything, mm -hmm. but. Having that third-party person that you can really tell everything to without fear of judgment. Yeah. Like, that's a big deal. Yeah. So. Don't underestimate uh, it. Let's live healthy so we can retire and, you know, do even better things. And if you're having one of those dark days, it's okay. It's, it's okay. It's okay to feel that darkness. And it's okay to remember it and miss it and hate it and love it. And it's okay to wish it never happened. And at the same time to wish it never stopped. And it's okay to want to take it all back. And at the same time, to want to do it all again. And, it, and if you've got in your mind that, that, that you think that people don't understand, that's okay. They don't. But you do. You know darkness. You know evil. But more important than that, you know good. You know light. And you know laughter and love better than anyone.
so. Embrace. Embrace that darkness. Own it. Don't look away from it. Don't bury it in booze or in pills. Listen. Listen to what Corporal Scott Procopio would have been saying to you. Live your life. Embrace your life. With with physical activity and with nature and with jujitsu and with sun and with laughter and guitar and good memories and creativity and discipline. Discipline yourself so you can free yourself and move forward into the future where there's no more darkness and no more war but peace hey everyone it's tj here from keep the promise as you know this podcast is all about helping firefighters become more resilient and well-rounded so that they can be a force for good within their fire department and their community but today i want to talk to you about something that's just as important and that is supporting firefighters who are going through tough times. When one of our fellow firefighters is off work because they have to go to the Center for Excellence, they have to go to rehab, they have mental health issues, or they have other health issues, it really takes away their support system and it wreaks havoc on their finances and their family's finances. And many times these brothers and sisters are left to struggle alone away from their support system and the people who love them without the resources they need to recover. That's why I'm setting a bold new goal, and that is to reach 150 total patrons on Patreon so that we can start a fund to help firefighters and their families during these challenging times. And I need your help to make it happen. With your support on Patreon, we'll be able to provide financial assistance to firefighter families who are battling things like addiction, depression, and cancer. We're going to help alleviate the financial strain that can come with being away from the fire department so that our brothers and sisters can focus on healing and recovering. Now, reaching 150 total patrons is a big goal, but I believe that we can do it together. And when we do, we'll be able to make a real difference in the lives of those who serve and protect alongside us. So, if you're not already a patron, I invite you to join us today. Head over to joinkeepthepromise.com and sign up today. Again, that is joinkeepthepromise.com. And if you already are a patron, thank you so much for your support. You'll be receiving some exclusive rewards and perks as a way of saying thanks. Together, let's show our fellow firefighters that we've got their back just like they always have ours. Thank you for listening. Let's get started with the episode.